Blog Talk Radio. about this. Mozart, 
The love received so far has been so hard. There's a few dudes to front, but they medulla, they sharp, man, they so soft. Don't be thrown off any Zolar. Avoid them at all costs, like raccoons or skunks. But back to the regular scheduled program. The program is sponsored by Seven Heaven. What else in hell can you get an open line to heaven at 11-11? Emerge at the other end of those meditation portals and elevated walk tools. Even some abort tools. Any questions, comments, or concerns, press one. To everyone else, thanks for attending another session. I'm pleased to teach, but it's an honor to learn. Certainly, courtesy of KTL University. Please don't be frightened. I'm terribly sorry about this. You are! Peace, peace, peace. Peace to you and yours. Peace to you and yours. This is Know the Ledge Radio, and you are now rocking with the best. Yes, indeed, this is your host. This is Brother Blue Pill, all right? Very soon to be joined by my co-host any moment now. I spoke to him a few minutes ago. So he's settling in. He should be with us any moment now. No problem. I can hold it down. Peace to you and yours, family. Please make yourself comfortable. Welcome back. Welcome back. Total Edge Radio, Friday night edition. We are in the building, okay? Shout out to everybody that was here with us on Tuesday, the Tuesday's Monumental Show, right? The KTL Empowerment Show. Family, if you're just checking in and you did not hear, Tuesday's night show is waiting for you. It's available in the archives um, at your convenience. You know, check us out, take a listen, see what was being presented on that show. All right, we laid out the entire platform for KTL Empowerment. A few people responded to the call, okay, and, um, you know, signed up. The winners, the winners out there, they see the vision, you know, and again, on the Nebuchadnezzar, we'll allow the rest of the family to check it out, you know, see how it resonates with you, and then uh, become better, you know. It's enough spots in the circle for winners. It's the winner's circle. So the door's open. Um, shout out to the Scorpios out there. A few of them have just experienced their solar returns, being uh, red included. Yesterday, yeah, it was yesterday. Yes, indeed. Yesterday was our solar return. Today is the first day of my 30, uh, yeah. Oh, uh, man. Okay, there we go. I got a story to tell y'all. Call it from the 347. Peace. Hello? Hey, Space, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you now. <clears throat> family, peace to the family. Welcome to Know the yes, Life Radio. Yes, yes. This is your co host, the brother Red Pill. In the building. Yes, yes, yes. Huh? Yeah. This much we know. Yeah, give me a minute in there. Come and give something. Yeah, peace to the family. Um, 
All right, go ahead. What's good? Welcome to Nola Ledge Radio. I want to send a special shout-out to everybody that made yesterday a very special day. You know, um, I've been, you know, studying, you know what I'm saying, doing a lot of studying recently about the love principle. I, I ain't trying to get all mushy on y'all and whatnot. But, um, you know, it was a lot of love <laughs> yesterday. You know what I'm saying? It was a oh yeah, yeah. It, it it poured in. It was it was a pouring. Well, you know what I'm saying? Mean, and I, yeah. huh? Nah, it's talking to my son. Oh, tell him I say what's up. He can say what's up. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, he take care of something right now. Hey, yeah, but, uh, he can tell me, uh, happy born day. He ain't, I, he ain't give me I, that. Yes, I get up on the phone. You know, um, you know, and things that you could buy in this world is perishable. You know, some things depreciate with value, um, but then there's some things that are priceless. That you can't put a, a price tag on. You know what I mean? Like that you can't camp outside. Kind of like, like kind of like a commercial being out. Real. Like or put some visuals to that. You might have a yeah seasonal package. <laughs> might have to hit. Yeah, hold on. Uh, yeah. Hey, Amir. How are you, Amir? Good. What's going on? Why didn't it was happy birthday It was my... How come what? What'd you say? This ain't an iPhone. You got to put it here. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it's right here. There you go. Happy birthday. Amir. Huh? Yeah, you didn't call me and say happy birthday yesterday. You didn't call me and say happy birthday. I tried yeah. calling you. Your mother didn't. <laughs> Your mommy didn't answer the phone. I've been trying to get in contact with you. But happy birthday, brother. Okay? You enjoyed yourself, right? Yeah. Okay. I love you. I'm going to see you soon. Okay. 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 Bye. Yeah. Bye-bye. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so you were saying. Close the door. So, you know, um, you know, it, it was just I look forward to, to be honest with you in these in these latter years and whatnot. You know, before I used to look forward to presents, you know, in the form of gifts, gift wrap presents, um, things that people could buy out of the store. Past few years, you know, I actually look forward to this day because there's always been this outpouring of love. You know what I mean? And I know that. You know, people are hard-strapped in these economical times and things of that nature. And, you know, people's attention is all over the place and things of that nature as well. But one thing that they can give, that I don't know if they realize this worth more than gold, is love. You know, and to get these messages from people who 
I don't even really, you know, I didn't even know that these people knew me per se. And, um, you know, just the, the outpouring, man, just the well wishes and they keep up the good work and, you know, just to know that so many people are paying attention to what me and you are doing. Um, you know, this wasn't a, yeah. you know, a solo yeah. cycle for me. You know what I mean? It wasn't, it wasn't, I was very challenging. Uh, Saturn did a number, you know what I'm saying, in terms of. Oh, yeah, you, you're not by yourself. Yeah, you, you know, know, I can only speak from my personal experiences. I don't share everything with everybody, you know what I mean? I don't really, you know, know what every... I know from being around my my comrades and whatnot that a lot of people have been challenged and they're going through their challenges and whatnot, but I can't necessarily gauge the populace, you know? Um, so, I, only, I you know, I could speak from... I can only account for myself. So this was a very, very eye-opening, um, very, you know very, very intense solar cycle for me, real talk. Like, I went through a lot, you know, um, looking back at hindsight. Some beautiful things did occur for me in the solar cycle. You know, there were some deaths in the family, but there was also some births in the family. Um, you know, there was uh, some loss of loved ones, and then there was gaining of loved ones, and, um it, it was, you know, I traveled a lot this this solar cycle. I did the Miami thing, which was like a vision quest for me, very introspective. I took a lot of time. I removed myself from New York over the summer, and I came back to New York. It took me a while to get acclimated back to New York, you know, to fit back in. But, you know, I'm here. You know what I'm saying? It is this, you know, it is what it is. Um I've been doing some research. Uh, I'm really coming to terms with the fact that we are definitely in the Kali Yuga. Things are completely upside down, and it's supposed to be like that. Uh, this is just the eon or the aeon that we're living in, and I'm coming to terms with it. You know, I'm not taking everything personally, uh, and it is what it is. But back to the love thing, back to um, the fact that the family you know what I'm saying? And, and it was almost like I didn't really need to do much yesterday. You know what I mean? I was just filled with joy. You know, I was filled with purpose. I was reinvigorated for this next solar cycle that I'm going to actually yeah, yeah. attack, you know what I mean, in a whole other manner and energy. I've, 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 you know, I took a, a lot of time just being in, in, in within myself yesterday. and Because, you know, I could have went to Chuck E. Cheese. You know what I'm saying? Like, I could have went play games, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Could have went, you know, and like, you know what I mean? Like, I could have went and hung out with the family and but I was like, you know what? I'm going to just take this day to just sit back and reflect, you know, let the Rolodex or the Memorex, you know, rewind, go over some of my experiences, some of my mistakes, um, you know what I mean, some of my triumphs and things like that, and just plot out this next cycle so, you know, me and you could completely do what it is we came here to do. Like you said, we are time traveling, so we do have work to do, you know, and and that's what that was. Shout out to A.A. Rashid and the brother Lighthouse Ashraf Rashid, you know what I mean? Yes. A.A. likes, you know what I'm saying, they share the 13th, 11, 13. And, um, yeah, they twin um, separated by eight years. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. So I'm, I'm, yeah, 
we we shared two birthdays. We shared a 13th and a 14th because it's like that's when our born day starts because we share it in unison with them. They're like our twins. So shout out to them. You know what I'm saying? And definitely shout out to everyone who uh, showed love. You know what I'm saying? Everybody who took time out of their, their busy, um, involved, engaging schedule, you know, just to, just to share some love or just to share some likes. You know what I'm saying? Just to share a thought, like the brother said, just to share a sentiment, you know, to keep it up, good work. You know, all of those things meant so much. Like, I kid you not. Somebody could have came and, and, and knocked on the door and gave me a presidential Rolex, real talk. And I wouldn't be as fulfilled and um, just, you know, just as elevated in, in, in my spirit and my purpose, giving me the strength to really say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm finna go in, you know what I'm saying? Because it's it's a very, like, that experience that I spoke about going to Skid Row, it was invigorating. It was fulfilling. You know, it, it feels something that was that was missing. You know, like throwing, like, that you've been throwing pebbles at an ocean. You're never really going to get it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But, yeah. you know, those feelings when your work is appreciated, when, you know, the work is um, acknowledged, for those of us that work, and travel that lonely word, that lonely road when you're working, those things mean, they have meaning. You know what I'm saying? They have meaning. And, um, yeah, it's just, just, just shout out to everybody, you know, took the time. You know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't even know that the, I, I have no idea if the work gets acknowledged, you know, I don't know. To be honest with you, I really don't. You know what I mean? We just, yeah, I've been really having work. my head down working. You know what I'm saying? I I look up every now and then and I see things, but I I keep working. And I don't necessarily work for the acknowledgement. So, yeah, I wouldn't. That's not what I'm looking for. But I took a, you know, like you said, I took a break yesterday. I sat back and I just observed some things. You know what I'm saying? And um, I, 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 what's that? fact that I'm only working at like twenty five percent. That's the scary shit. Like that that's what that's that's a scary like I, I'm not at I'm not even at half of my full potential. So, you know, that's the that's the that's the that's like the um and and that was the response that I was saying in terms of saying, Oh, oh really? Like, okay, you know, Time for my hundred percent to come out because I see that it is it is having effective change, and now I'm ready to transform and change self. So yesterday was just going through the laundry list of things that I can better, things that I feel that are necessary to take me to that next phase and that next level. Calling out the people that are around me that have been instrumental with providing me with the tools to help me know myself. You know what I'm saying? People like Ra Cool, people like Brother Brian Holiday L, you know, people like my brother Dolph Harvey, Kwame. I got I reached back out, I had a conversation with Majesty, my old business partner, you know, 
street knowledge that I haven't spoken to in years. You know, mm-hmm. uh, so I mended certain things that needed to be mended to move into the next cycle. I recorded some music. You know, I recorded my piece, my piece of all peace, hoax bass. You know, I, I finally got it out, and it was monumental. You know, just for that alone. And I got, a, I got, a, I got a present. You know what I'm saying? I got a present. You feel me? I got a brand. It's a picture of it. I can't even speak on it, but it's a game changer. You know, this is a power piece that belongs in a museum. You know what I'm saying? I'm only going to be wearing it for pictures. You can't even wear this thing. You can only take, you know, studio pictures with this joint here. So, fulfills, you know, um, spent some time with the wife and, and, but spent a lot of time alone. You know what I'm saying? Just just like I said, evaluating and um getting that pen and pad out. I went to Art Walk last night out here too. You know what I'm saying? I saw some some cool art. Took some pictures, I'm gonna share them with the family, um, in the next few days. You know, just just really focusing, you know what I mean? And KTL empowerment, you know, just seeing the success that is is destined for KTL empowerment and just tweaking mm-hmm. certain things, like I said, just just laying down the train tracks to let the train properly take off. You know what I'm saying? Just making sure that those those tracks are as tight as they need to be. Because when I ramp up to seventy five, eighty, ninety percent on my way to hundred and ten, I'm telling you I'm taking flight, literally taking flight being you know, yeah, I mean that was my that was my gift. My so, fly, we fly. Yeah, that was that was just my that was my gift to self that you know to make the the the, the conscious decision and the promise to you know completely you know quantum leap about fifty more percent into 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 my higher self. You know what I mean? Into my godhood, into my my um you know, to completely, you know, fulfill prophecy and do what it is that I came here to do. You know, we're closely approaching that 40-year uh, cycle, knocking on 40, you know. <laughs> oh, you know what the bug thing is? And I, I'm, I'm going to have to figure this out. Man, last no. year, thinking I was the age that I am now, so I lost I, that year. I lost it. And I yeah, live the year that I'm living now out already. That's bug. That, and it's because I really. I, it's like I'm. I had the same. <laughs> yeah, I had the same. You know what I'm saying? Like I had the same problem or the same situation where I thought that I'm the year. I thought I was the age that I am now. The whole last year, even my son was like thinking the same thing. I had to sit down and completely like do the math, and that's interesting. But um, you know. Or, so as this comes, as this as this new solar cycle begins, I want to say salute to everybody that was there for me in the last cycle that assist me. Um, shit, people that cross me, you know what I mean? Like everybody, everyone is part of the movie, you know what I mean? From the adversaries and all, you know what I mean? To the supporting actresses, to the, the, the leading ladies and all of that. Like, you know, the, everybody plays their part. I just want to say thank you for making that a monumental episode. Um, you know, we gearing up for the next run 
It's going to be monumental. Yeah, and some of you won't be back for Act 3. Your checks are in the mail. Hopefully you can utilize this experience to get your SAG card. Um, I'm sure there's a lot more sets out there that can use you as extras. We appreciate it. Uh, yeah. You know, so, it, you know, that is what it is. Um, shout out to Omi. Mom Duke is in town. Oh, yeah, shout out to yeah, yeah. shout out to Omi. It was really her birthday. You know what I'm yeah, saying? She um, was feeling it. We was in communication. She was feeling the love, and I made sure that, um, you know, I filled her up on it as well. Shout out, you know what I'm saying, for Pop. Shout out to Pop Duke. She was a better, not a sweater. You know, he made that happen. You know what I'm saying? So, shout out to him. So, yeah, um, let's get this thing going. You know what I mean? To uh, Shamel and Jabari Bay for that show that they put on Tuesday night. Yes. You know what I mean? They definitely came through and did their thing. I want to say salute to those brothers. You know what I'm saying? I was getting a lot of inquiries from the family about yes. KCL empowerment. Yes. Shout out to y'all. That's right. You know what I mean? Um, and we will be back in the building on Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, and uh, that's what it is. That's what it is. There's a lot of things to talk about, but once again, you know, time is uh, it is what it is. You know what I'm saying? We got to get into the show, though. You know, very interested in tonight's episode. Uh, this oh, yeah, yeah. It's very, very, yeah, very monumental, very much needed at this time in science, his knowledge, um, everything that he's doing, his movement. The movement yeah, it, it's uh, key. Right. It's very key. You know what I'm saying? It's extremely key. So let's go ahead and get the show underway. Um I hope that's him in the call queue. Yeah, pay the bills. And then let's get back and we get this thing going. Okay, yeah, let me pay the bills real quick. Shout out to the Mooney twins. You know what I'm saying? Funniest dudes on the FB. It's not like status comedy. That's a whole new comedy feel onto itself. You know, my dude Daryl, he's 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 winning that race. Shout out to him. Stand up statuses. Yeah, I don't, I think I got a second C. I don't. I, I'm not privy to that. The Mooney Twins present Trade and Get Paid. Invest like a pro with the Royal Network's Trading Academy. Trade and get paid. The stock market is a $4 billion a day industry. We bring Wall Street to your street. Earn extra money or get rich. Trade and get paid. Beginners pack $275.95 and $120 monthly. Learn and earn with the Trading Academy. Call the Mooney Twins at 323-328-0067. That's 323-328-0067. Trade and get paid. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. You said what? You don't have the brother as a friend on FB? All right. All right. I don't think you I mean, do, but I've never seen you. Huh? 
I've been in my limit for a minute. I'm about to do. Yeah. So I'm not, I but you can follow this page though. Yeah. Oh, I can subscribe to it. Yeah, yeah. Don't do that to yourself. You gotta. I do this hilarious. Okay. And his jokes always come at the right time, at least for me. All right. Well, let's get into the program. And this is no joking matter, family. The title of tonight's program is The Death of DNA. Okay. Via genetic food mutation featuring our brother, Terrence Miller. Okay. Let me read the description, y'all. Join Nola Ledge Radio for another riveting episode of KTL University. Last week, Brian Holiday L. shows you how death itself is dying. Tonight, we welcome back to the program botanist and researcher Terrence Miller to present the death of DNA, the biogenetic war on a human species via mutated food. Mr. Miller has some astounding information to share about the misappropriation of our food supply by scientists who are effectively destroying the DNA template with their science experiments disguised as food. DNA, as we knew it, is dying. Mutated food is creating mutated people and before long will yield a mutated species. What can you do? Is the clock half past no return? Find the trick being played by heirloom seeds, which are hybrids in disguise. Most importantly, find out what wild and indigenous foods will set your DNA back to vitality. So tune in tonight, family, and find out about the biggest challenge to the human species. If you are what you eat, after going over a mental inventory of the foods you ingest, ask yourself, just who might you really be? Family, get your pads and your pens ready. Class is in session. And with no further ado, I want to go to caller from the 773. Caller from the 773. Mr. Miller, is this you? Peace. Yes, peace, fam. Greetings. Greetings. Greetings, greetings, brother. Welcome back. Yes, sir. Pleasure to be here. It's definitely, definitely an honor and a pleasure to have you back on the program. Um, your conversation was one that was started that never finished because it's continuously being played out in my mind. And I'm, you know, spreading the gospel everywhere that I go and I meet somebody that works with the land, you know, I let them know that we have a brother, you know what I'm saying, is doing some diligent, diligent work out there. Yes, sir. So, peace, yes, brother. Peace. You know, so honored to be here in such a pivotal, you know, sequencing of revelations, you know, of which Kali Yuga is a very integral core of that process. You know, one right. of my elders always stressed about genetics years ago in Culture Lab, Brother, brother Kalam Seal Koran. And, you know, we study cosmology and genetics. Mm. And what I did not know way back then was that was a spark to bring me on the very path I'm on, you know. And I'm very fortunate to have had and still have the elders 
you know, I look back at the younger generations, and that's something that they very lack. And I feel so honored. Yes. And as I get older, I always finding myself quoting certain things they say. You know, and yes, yes. And now, you know, I've, I've been on this journey for many years, and now that I've I've made the shift, I never really planned the direction that my life is going to follow. But I, I noticed an awareness that I see myself shifting. So when I made this this revelation of a connection with my divine partner, you know, Sister Ruby Olumasita from Nigeria by way of New York, and she committed to follow this journey of genetic restoration of the human. Mm. And that and that genetic restoration is understanding that if there was no research available, one thing always presents itself, and that's the dynamics of nature, which is the best Yes, yes. And I observed in nature years ago, when I first started wildcrafting herbs, you know, thanks to Dr. Sebi's lecture in Chicago in the winter of 1990, or 1989, and I began to wildcraft herbs. And that led me to a brother named Basu. Basu was one of the unknown. He's a yogi who was one of Yashirai Hotep's, which is Kemetic Yoga. Many people know of him, but the Basu was one of right. the teachers. He first turned me on the farmer. And another brother was instrumental in that process was Steve Copley. This lecture in Chicago, where he, talk, where he asked the whole audience who was growing their own food, who was making their own clothes, and who was providing electricity, and no one raised their hand. And I found myself the very next day at used bookstores acquiring books on alternative energy, uh, studying native cultures to observe how they sustain themselves prior to any form of colonization. Yes. And then I, then I further realized, uh, what were they eating? And then that brought me to indigenous and wild foods. I got a book from the University of Illinois, Circle Campus, called The Origin Cultivated Plants. One of the few books that intuitively I was guided to acquire, even though I wasn't going to come into alignment with the conscience of the book until a few years later. Mm. And I observed, from, I observed from farming that all the things that grew wild in the field were not just quote-unquote weeds, but they actually were medicinal herbs. And that led me to, to understand botany. And I realized that, you know, research, which I don't consider myself really a researcher because research only offers you bits and pieces of information, but it does not offer you the basic fundamentals or the fundamental principles and the basic construct because no matter how much research one does, how do you validate the research? You have to have a underlying insight on the subject itself. And then I went further to realize that there's internal and external explorations in life. And internal is more intuitive. And that's of the highest order. And I find myself definitely on that path because a voice told me that when you seek outside of yourself, you're telling your intuition that it can serve you well. So I had to make a shift 
and begin to learn by intuitive measures. So, like, for instance, when I look at soil, I use the doctrine of smell. So now I'm attuned to smell soil to not only know the pH of the soil, but understand what organisms are in the soil because everything offers, everything gives off a radiation in the form of smell as well as frequency and other subtle energies and forces. And also with plants, people may ask me, well, how do you know they're wild? Something I learned from Dr. Kwaku Andau, an ethnobotanist from Ghana. He told me about the doctrine of signature, the appearance of the plant. And I began to observe that's the physical nature of the plant. Then by studying chemistry and biochemistry, when I look at certain compounds, certain molecules and plants, you know, Brother Julian Nettles Bay talked about how everything in the universe has a purpose, a reason for being. And now I'm able to look at certain compounds and molecular forms in plants and understand why the universe brought them into being. Then I, you know, years ago I, had, I began to acquire a, such a strong appreciation for ecology. And ecology really made me understand how to live with the earth in a very progressive manner. Because we look at the way we live in the cities, you know, from the cutting, from the use of electricity, which comes by way of the burning of coal, which is not progressively in alignment with, with ecology. You know, the use of water, that it produces a parasite called Lambda Guardia, which comes from taking clean water and mixing it back with feces and urine and trying to treat it. And then observing nature that when animals release their droppings and their urination on the soil, that the, the nitrogen in it is basically volatilized back into the atmosphere and everything else is filtered through the layers of soil. So now soil not only serving a purpose to provide substance to plants, but it's also a filtering system to recycle the cleanliness of water. You know, and this, you know, my lifestyle over the years, living in rural areas and really living with nature, you know, and just going beyond my initial introduction was looking at it through books or through videos and docu documentaries, even though it was inspiring and definitely eye-awakening. And now I embark on this journey of realizing that nothing can replicate the original. There was a transformation from a geological to an ecological process that brought life forms into being. And, of course, the first life forms were fungi, lichen, and bacteria on land and in water. And those original forms were single strand, single cell, and then the four algaes that emerged from the water, the, the green algae, the blue-green, the red, and the brown, also single strands. When we look at Irish moss or sea moss, it looks brown, but it's, in the, it's a red algae. We look at dose, it looks red, but in actuality, it's a brown algae. Spirulina is from the freshwater environment. That in chlorella, those are blue-green algae, and they are from, from the freshwater. So now... We look at the next phase of plants, and they begin to show up on the seashore, such as wild cabbage. 
wild cabbage is the original cabbage on the planet. From that wild cabbage came broccoli, cauliflower, the headed cabbage, kale, kohlrabi, and collards. And now I understand that if you took the nutritional capacity of all of those plants and add them together, they will they will come about 25% capacity of equaling the nutritional substance of the original cauliflower. And then understand the dynamics of nature that we as melanated people originally were set in the stratus between the Tropic of Cancer and the Tropic of Capricorn. That area made agriculture unnecessary because nature was the master agriculturist where everything grew wild. Plants for timber, plants for plant oils, for cosmetics, lubricants, plants for fiber, fabrics, linens, plants for food, plants for medicine, plants for housing. And I began to look at a plant not just from its a nutritional standpoint, not just from a medicinal standpoint, but more so from a botanical, where I see the whole spectrum of the plant. So we have things like flaxseed that they tell us is beneficial, but if you look at the polymers and look at some of the oils in flaxseed, you will see that they strictly are dealing with an industrial purpose, oils that make excellent uh, lubricants, such as linoleum, where it hardens the surface of a towel. So if it does that to a towel, what do we do to your body? And a lot of plants that serve and that were intended by nature, not by man, but by nature to be used for a certain point. But man in his transgression and lack of humility began to use plants as he wanted to be used. And that brings us to what's going on with food now. The GMO is a big thing. But there's but the GMO is a smoke screen and we're gonna really gonna to touch on that. But I'm gonna I'm gonna reflect yes. back briefly on how the original form of plants were wild. From a genetic standpoint, they had a single pair of chromosomes. And as long as they single pair were of chromosomes? Yeah, one pair of chromosomes. It's called a, a, a baploid. But through the breeding process, really spearheaded a lot, more so in the recent time by Mendel, but hundreds of years ago, you know, they would continue to breed plants to select a certain trait. You know, because like broccoli and cauliflower, they were breeded over 500 years to arrive at the variety that we have today. Before the... Uh, GMO was even thought of, and right. you know, looking at looking at many other plants, you know, I'd be questioned as well. You know, how do you know whether, like for instance, there was a thing that the carrot was a hybrid? You know, but I realized that if a plant has a wild ancestor, there may be a species of that plant that's hybrid, but the plant, but the family that created the species is definitely authentic. So that means that that species that, that plant in itself couldn't be hybrid. I mean, because you have hybrid versions of tomatoes, but then they are wild tomatoes. You have hybrid right. versions of cucumbers, but they are wild cucumbers. You know, and, and, you know, I'm so fortunate that, you know, understanding that the things that we pay attention to, 
and focus on, we become aware of. And when I really begin to focus on seeds like I never had in my whole life, in a matter of a week or two, I gravitated to over 200, uh, over 275 wild indigenous species, the original wild mm. banana. Of course, you know, the shaving district banana is what populates the world. Yes. The wild plum, the wild corn. I mean, so many wild species. It's just, you know, I feel so humbled and honored to gravitate to these original DNA because if you look at uh, what they call a genetic-born disease, cerebral palsy, Down syndromes, and Parkinson's disease. And recently, we see an emergence of juvenile diabetes, juvenile arthritis, autism, and sickle cell. So now, one thing the research helped me with was when I was collecting data, it made me see that certain things were far less prevalent the further we go back, and they become more prevalent as we come into the future. So what's the common denominator? The genetics, because what determines the expression of a gene? Nutrition. Right. For so long in the organic farming arena, so much emphasis was placed on the soil, which is definitely dynamic. But little emphasis was placed on the genetics of wild seed because we got a whole bunch of plant breeding going on. We're going to go into some terminologies such as mutation breeding. I kind of want to read something that's going to kind of set the stage for the rest of this presentation. And it mentions this. Yes, as, please. In the debate over genetically modified foods, the use of transgenic processes is often compared and contrasted with mutagenic processes, which is radiation. While the abundance and variation of transgenic organisms in human food systems and their effect on agricultural biodiversity, ecosystem health, and human health is somewhat well documented. Mutagenic plants and their role on human food systems is less well known. With one journalist writing, though poorly known, radiation breeding has reduced thousands of useful mutants and a sizable fraction of the world's crops, including varieties of rice, wheat, barley, pears, peas, cotton, peppermint, sunflower, peanuts, grapefruit, sesame, bananas, cassava, sorghum, and many, many others. Mutagenic varieties tend to be made freely available for plant breeding in contrast to many commercial plant varieties or germplasms that increasingly have restrictions on their use such as terms of use, patents, and proposed genetic user restriction technologies. It says, unlike genetically modified crops, which typically involve the insertion of one or two target genes, plants develop in a mutagenic process with random, multiple, and unspecific genetic changes have been discussed as a concern, but are not prohibited by the U.S or other countries. Organic standards somewhat controversially several organic food and seed companies promote 
and sell certified organic products that were developed using both chemical and nuclear mutagenesis. Several certified organic brands whose companies support strict labeling or outright bans on GMO crops market the use of these branded crops. So hmm, could GMO be a smoke screen with this nuclear modification in seeds? Wow. Not to mention, you know, I used to mention to certain people about the hybridization thing, which is all a whole other animal. And people say, oh, I got heirlooms. I'm like, heirloom is a hybrid. People say, how did that be? There's a process called dehybridization. If I took two species of the, two varieties of the same species and crossed them, and I get what's called the F1, the first generation of hybrids. And I examine the characteristics of that offspring, and I, I tone in on one specific variety that I would want to be a breed, and I separate it from the rest, and I plant it the next season. And when that same exact species results in the midst of other variations, I take it and I isolate it once again. And when I do that three more times, I would have created an open pollinated variety. And if I did it in the 1800s or the early 1900s, it's an heirloom. Right. Because when you see, and I've I've really toned in on key words, an Italian heirloom tomato, an Italian heirloom eggplant, an Italian heirloom uh, cucumber, the first thing popped up in mind that none of those species are native to Italy. So how could you have an heirloom variety of them? There's no such thing as even an heirloom. There's eight different definitions of an heirloom, and there's vast disparities between the definitions of all of them. One says anything that's been around since 1950. One says 1850. Another says 1837. Another terminology says a species that has a written history that was passed down. Hmm. Well, we a written that history plant. that was passed down? Yeah, that means that a plant, if somebody gave you a seed, they have a little small sheet of paper, and it shows the right. few families that that seed passed down to. That's a few families. I mean, but agriculture right. is like 10,000 years old. So we know that if it only passed down to a few families, pretty much a recent phenomenon, which means it came by way of selection. So when I read the description right. of seeds, when I see the term selected, developed, or breeded, you know, or if it's an heirloom from another country, and even the name, because Western civilization has a way of naming a plant after them. So when I look at a plant, when I'm looking at the name, if the name don't reflect the indigenous place of which that plant was an origin of, which is a prerequisite. You have to know where plant's origin came from. And when you come to South America and Africa, you have to take into consideration of Pangaea. Those two continents was once connected. That's why if you look at cucumbers, squash, watermelon, and melon, they all are the same family. But watermelon was more prevalent in Africa. Melon's more prevalent in Asia, 
squash was more prevalent in Central America, and then cucumbers more prevalent around the Himalayas. So that made me understand that if they all came from the same trunk and branched off, that means that as the continent shifted, that's to give you an idea of how old the wild species are. Mm-hmm. No man, no man created them. They was here from day one, and then it made me realize that nothing can improve upon perfection. So once nature brings something into form, if you change it in any way, shape, or form, you only can diminish its quality. There's so much plant breeding going on now. There's chef to farm movement. They want to breed plants for taste and for appearance. You can't breed nutrition. Only nature is the benefactor of this substance. So what is this Western dynamic that many of us are definitely uh, exposed to? Because, you know, our premise is to establish a seed bank, which would be the only seed bank and seed company consistent of 100% wild and indigenous food, no adulteration whatsoever. And we've, we've cataloged 390 varieties today, which include wild culinary herbs, like wild marjoram, wild sage, wild basil, wild oregano, wild onions, wild leeks, wild garlic. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And I said that, you know, right. when I looked around, one of my elders told me that you have to become what you look for in other people. And what I did not see was of all the information that was presented, informing people of how transgenic foods were, where's the remedy? Because you can point at all the foods in the supermarket, all the seeds in the seed catalog, and you can identify those as being mutant. Mutant means that each generation that eat these foods, their DNA becomes more and more compromised because they got species now that have what they call an octoploid a hexaploid, where they have eight and nine pairs of DNA. And the more the food is breeded, the more mutated it becomes. It's like taking an original copy of a document and copying it, taking that copy and make another copy, take that copy and make another copy and do it two or three hundred times and then compare it to the original. It doesn't compare at all. And we look at where we at now genetically. So what I'm proposing is that the only way our genetics can reverse themselves is to go back to the original food that nature created. And a lot of people, when I told somebody that I had wild food, they said impossible. I said, do you think nature would allow her original form to be decimated? I'm like, do you realize that all the plants that they have transformed, mutated, breeded, were already mutated to begin with? They didn't take the original corn or the original wild cucumber or the original wild squash. They didn't take none of the original forms and adulterate them. They have taken things that was right. already mutated. So to me, already mutated. Spirit, right. Right. So from a spiritual standpoint, this is a way of the universe shifting us back to wild food because it ain't going to give us no choice but to eat these if we want to live on from generation to generation because all of those foods... Mm be it the fake pseudo-heirlooms, be it dehybridization, mutation breeding, genetically engineered, which is a farce. Okay, you have organic hybrid corn. 
you have an organic seedless watermelon, you have an organic seedless breakfruit. So they're playing games with people. And see, the research enough doesn't allow us to see the substance. So I had to get in depth and understand plant genetics, plant breeding, understanding inbreeds, outbreeds, outcross, a perfect flower, imperfect flower, every single terminology. I had to do the Malcolm X to make sure I had a very thorough and then take, allow the intuition to all bring it into form. And, mm. and you know, agriculture is like a love, but, but basically the path is a sustainable living because they, they right now they, they're engaging in what's called uh, genetic mutation of trees. They're genetically engineering trees because when they make paper of the typical trees, the lignin, which is in what's called the cellulose, that's the hardest, more rigid part of the tree. It requires chlorine to break it down, which gets into the right. creeks and the streams, and it begins to create transgenic activity with species, such as low sperm count and other abnormalities. So rather than just using the plants that nature, nature didn't create no trees to be made for paper. That's man's doing Nature created things like hemp and kinef because one acre of kinef or hemp is equivalent to 20 acres of trees. But guess what? The hemp and the kinef can grow back after 90 days of a crop rotation. The tree that they cut down, it takes them 50 to 75 years to grow back. So obviously, nature didn't design that tree for anything to be cut down. It serves an ecological purpose. We have to be in tune. That's our environment. You know, right. why did nature create this? Why did nature create that? And I learned from George Washington Power that the more you love something, the more you have a passion for it, the more tuned and focused you're in on it, the more it gives love back. And it gives love back in the form of the things that I'm speaking on now. People say, well, how did you come to know this? I'm like, I'm not a genius. This is a reflection of my focus and my love and my passion and my dedication. Yes. You know, that, that was, that's, that's the core of it. And, you know, we had, we had this serious crossroads because Africa has been compromised. There's a lot of wild species. There's like 12,000 wild species between Uganda, Tanzania, and Kenya. But I'm interested in getting them. I mean, Haiti has shown some revolutionary positioning by burning 200 tons of Monsanto seeds. But Monsanto ain't an issue. Genetic engineering is not the issue. Mutation breeding is not the issue. The issue is the lack of our responsibility to take control of our food. If we say as melanated people, we're original people, then why are we not eating our original food? That's why I love Native Seed Search. Native Seed Search, co-founded by Gary LeBond, he wrote a book called Enduring Seeds, and it deals with, you know, plant preservation and wild species. And what happened was the Native Americans in Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, and in Mexico, they was, many of them were compromised for the old indigenous food that went back thousands and thousands and thousands of years to these new mm-hmm. mutated breeds by the Western, Westerners. Well, what he did, he went back and started collecting those native seeds and created this seed catalog and began to reintroduce the original genetics. 
that seed company is the bomb. I mean, I would have to say that about 85 to 89% of their seeds are wild indigenous. And you see terms such as collected, wild crafted, wild. Sometimes you see the term domesticated. Domesticated means that they took a wild plant, collected the seeds from it, and began to plant it as a crop. Which okay. means it's so close to the wild. It has a wild bagger. Wild bagger means it doesn't need the aid of man. It has a robust right. tenacity to keep coming back every year. Not just coming back, but it's a certain biorhythmic magnetic field that no matter what the temperature is, that plant will emerge at that same time every year. It don't even matter when you plant it. I planted sorrel three different times the same year. But all three of them plants came back at the same time the next year and each subsequent year. I'm like, wow. Then I look at the bees. Oh, that's another thing. The honeybees, they mutated. They're from Europe. The what? The honeybees. It ain't native to the America. honeybee. Yeah. Yeah, can you please speak about that? Well, first of all, I got, I've been several, I wouldn't want to call them heated discussions, but there are people that are very passionate about these trees, about these bees. And I remember Sabi um, bringing back some black jelly for me from, um, I believe he, he came back from the continent. And he was like, you know, the bee over here is not a real bee. He's like, you want to taste what real honey tastes like? I was like, sure. And when I taste that honey, there were um, sensory systems of mine were tweaking. Like, I felt pulsating behind my ears. You know, it was just activity in my energy centers that I could feel. I'm like, whoa, what is that? He's like, that's what honey's supposed to do. He's like, that's from the African bee. Mm-hmm. He said, that thing over here, that that shit is a hybrid. I'm like, the bees is hybrid? Yeah. Wow. And I get I, I can assure you, if you ask 90% of the people with the native bees to America, they couldn't tell you. There's a small, tiny bee called a leaf-cutting bee. It's called a what? A leaf-cutting bee. Leaf-cutting bee? Yeah. Okay. Very small. Then there's another called a sweat bee, which is also very small. Then you have the carpenter bee. Then you have the yellow jacket, which is really a wasp. Then you have the two species of wasp. And then you have the hornet. Then you have the butterfly. Those are your native pollinators. Because not only the, the honeybees have to visit the flower five times in order to pollinate it. When it comes to anything in the nightshade family, like uh, cape gooseberries, uh, ground cherries, tomatillos, uh, tomatoes, eggplants, peppers, the honeybee lacks what they call sonication. Sonication is its, it's vibratory uh, pulsation is not strong enough to sever the pollen so that it can collect it. So therefore, that honeybee cannot, under no circumstance, pollinate anything in the nightshade family. And to be honest with you, only one time in my life I ever seen a honeybee pollinate anything, and that's because a guy down the street was raising a bee. Other than that, I've always only seen native pollinators. And I think when you engage in agriculture, you have to pay attention to the environment, and you have to adhere to certain guidelines, and that your farming has to be ecological in nature. So that means anything you disrupt, Within a matter of weeks, you have to make sure that it's making a transformation back into that form that it was in before you disrupt it. 
because you right. hit, you hit you hit things such as the soil is depleted. I tell people first of all, let's let's go back to the parent rock material to the transformation of igneous and metamorphosis, metamorphic and sedimentary rocks that produce what we know as the four fractions. Gravel is one, sand, silt, and clay. And then look at the lichen and the freeze, thaw, dry, and wet. Those are the processes through over hundreds of thousands of years that created soil. So the thing is, if soil is made up of basically 95% minerals, how does it get depleted? <laughs> it wouldn't exist. It's like saying that water is, is depleted of hydrogen and oxygen. But then how is it still physically water? And we have, we have aligned ourselves to always listen to what the person who has forked tongue always speaks. And let's listen and accept what someone always tells us without thoroughly acquiring insight to validate it. So that means we shouldn't accept nothing unless it's validated. So if I personally speak on something, I'm going to speak on the fundamental principles or the substance with nature that governs what I'm saying. I will never speak from research, philosophy, opinion, or ideology because that's insufficient. Only the guidelines in nature can substantiate the existence of anything. And if nature don't support it, leave it where it is. Hmm. The whole idea of of a human breeding for nutrition so then the question is, if we get all these heirlooms, why are you breeding plants right now? This company called Johnny Seed, the sister that sent me an email, they done, they done hooked up with some seed company and created a new tomato. Well, this organization called Seed Savers Exchange, they got 25,000 varieties of food. But, of course, most of them, not all, but 99.9% of them are transgenic, mutated. So it if this is what we have at our disposal, then what is our fate? Because we don't, we don't produce food. Even the black farmers and others, they grow those mutant seeds. You know, the, the Georgia Southern College, it's a mutant. And I hate to say it, you know, we have to release that emotional attachment we got to things. That would be our demise. Emotions can't discern. It can't critique and it cannot obsess. Only intuition and clairvoyance can do that. So we really want to assess something, we better go within and don't look without. You know, because even right. in New York, even in New York, when they wanted to test the, the substance of the water, they didn't use a the machine. They used the, 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 the olfactory capability of a system. They said her nose was better than any machine. We had that ability, but we throw it away. Like we can calculate sophisticated uh, calculations in our mind. But the first thing we do is grab that calculator. So every time we go external, we deplete the internal. I had to change that with myself a long time ago. I have to go internal. External to me is only a validation for for other people. I really don't need it. I I, I confide 100% in intuition because it is never wrong, never. The The way we may perceive things could be an error, but the intuition in itself is always on point. So at this juncture, I had to realign myself to two things. What purpose could I best serve? And what purpose was best to be served? And this is it. Because when I look around, you know, I'm like, what are we going to do? They keep breeding and breeding and breeding. I'm like, we don't have a seed bank. 
We don't have a. That's not even one black seed company. Huh. And even the people that say they seed, all they save is mutants, so they don't even count. Oh. So, you know, and, you know, me and the sisters, we're getting a little support as time goes on, but it needs, this needs to be something far beyond just two people because Organic Seed Alliance, Seed Savers Exchange, Native Seed Search, they have a team of people. You know, even though I'm not supportive of the, the seed breeding aspect of what they're doing, the seed saving is integral. There's some things that I draw from it. But we have to act as a collective, you know. The whole thing of rallying behind one person ain't going to work. We need to have multiple seed banks, you know. And we had, right. to, we, had to, we had to come to a discernment within ourselves. If we want to be transgenic, if we, we got children that's coming to the world. They're going to have children. So what happens when the grandchildren ask us, they were doing all this when you was around. What did your generation do? Oh, we just sit and watch. That's, that's the kind of legacy we want to leave. I mean, because we haven't established a legacy. When we create a seed bank, and that seed bank and seed company goes from generation to generation, that would be the biggest contribution in agriculture since George Washington Carver. Oh. It would be the biggest contribution in agriculture ever because nothing is better than the original. That means that it's a different type of agriculture. When you're dealing with wild foods, you disturb the soil one time, one time only. And when you plant them wild foods, that soil comes back to its original form, and you don't touch the soil again. That's the difference between growing wild and growing these annual cultivars. They need to be taken care of. Like them honeybees need to be taken care of, unlike the native bees can take care of themselves, just like the native wild plants can take care of themselves. So I'm like, hmm. Right. Now, are there any traces left of these smaller bees, these indigenous bees, the leaf-cutting bee, oh. sweat bee? Oh. They're everywhere. The problem is most farmers don't see them because they plow the whole field out. See, the first thing I do when I see a field, I'm looking for the native plants. Because when I see the native plants, I know what they're going to track. And if you acquire a field right. that has been been removed of them, then you plant native wild plants, which going to attract the native species. Because there's a certain genetics that's within the wild plant that gives it uh, what's called a horizontal resistance. And then the, the monocrops that the honeybees breed on, or feed on rather, has what we know as a vertical resistance. That means that they design a plant to be immune to just one or two pathogens. So the nature is going to take that same pathogen and it will transform and make a metamorphosis and come back to something else. That's why, mm. even though they're creating all these mutant plants, you can believe this. When they seed bank, all these wild foods I'm talking about, they got them in their seed bank. And what they do, they take the staple varieties of that, like the, like the wild rice. The black wild rice is the original rice. And when they right. come up with a breed of rice that has been decimated by pathogens, and they can't endure any longer, they take and do what they call a back cross. A back cross is you take a, a, a hybrid plant and you cross it back to the wild. And what that does is it gives the plant some wild vigor, something right. unlike any of the other cultivars. And like the shaving dish banana and, all, and, the, and the mango, 
and a pineapple and an avocado. All of this stuff is hyper. So I said, I'm just going to eat the avocados for now, but I said, I'm going to go to Guatemala and find that wild avocado demonstration. We're going to locate right. it and grow it out and make it available. You know, wild guavas, wild papaya, wild jackfruit, wild durian, plants from certain islands that you can't even find nowhere else in the world. We got yeah, a lot of the a lot of the wild indigenous fruits that you just mentioned could be found in um in Granada, mm-hmm. and a, a young lady came back from Granada recently, and she told me that they were selling land for an extraordinary cheap amount of money. You can buy an estate out there, and on the estate are all of these indigenous um trees that are, that are growing it just it's just food on the floor it's just food everywhere it just grows so wild out there and you can get your hands on this level of, of um you know you can get your hands on the land because she wanted to do a healing retreat out there so she was asking me you know if i wanted to participate you know what i'm saying and i was like I, I definitely think that that's something that needs to be done if nothing else but to get next to that food mm-hmm Indeed. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, in Northwest United States, particularly Washington and Oregon, the Native Americans that sojourned there, they only forage. They never tried to cultivate the stuff. So there's a lot of variety still going wild. And what's so interesting to me, book that it came out of, written by a sister, you know, European sister, called the... Uh, basically the, the premise on plant breeding, and she talked about that all these wild plants are there. But my question is, why would you write Wait, a book on plants? What's the name of that book? Uh, one second. Uh, it's called Breed Your Own Vegetable Varieties. It's called, you, your first words didn't come in that clear. It's called what now? Uh, breed Your Own Vegetable oh. Varieties. Okay. My question Please is, if you got knowledge of all these wild plants in the North Pacific, Northwest Pacific area, why do you encourage plant breeding? I realize because of the God complex. And Western society want to be God. But as the poorest right. examples of it, you can't, you, can't, you can't create planets, you can't create black holes, you can't create galaxies, you can't plant, you can't recreate ecosystems. Mountain. Oh, yeah, and they're trying to do all them things right there. <laughs> oh, and it's going to all fail. It's, it's a thing called humility. We have to humble ourselves and realize what our purpose is. We have to manage what nature creates, not try to recreate what nature creates, because you can't improve upon perfection. You cannot. So a plant is wild. I don't have no desire whatsoever to breed anything. To name it after myself, I, mean, I, I have such an impeccable respect for nature that I'm always humbled by the dynamics and the magnificence and, and omnipotence that it demonstrates every time I encounter it. Like every single time is something new each day, you know, and it, it, it got me to the point where I'm void of bringing forth a perspective or opinion or thought, because I 
I'm so in line to understand that nature is the perfection and that if I had to choose between a thought process of my own and the magnificence of nature, I would come up short every single time. So it just makes intelligence sense to me to always follow the guidelines of perfection, to understand mm-hmm. how to live with other species. You know, like where I lived at, I, I basically had the, uh, the carpenter bee living in the porch, the wasp living underneath the, the house, uh, the armadillo living underneath the porch. I was okay with it. Somebody told me to, they said, I want to come and visit you, but I want you to exterminate. I'm like, you won't be visiting me. You won't be visiting me. I don't exterminate nature. And that's just the mindset that we right. don't understand that nature is a divine reflection. We all are the same family. That one species is not having dominion over the other. It's dominion with the earth. Yes. And, all, and that whole thing with the plant breeding is a part of that because man has some respect when nature creates. And then we've been drawn into it because we don't create food. You know, even the black farmers that are lobbying the government, they can take that same energy and redirect it to a direct marketing and not sell to the to these industries because the way the black farmers have been doing it, every dollar that's spent on produce, the farmer get twenty cent off the dollar, the wholesaler get twenty get forty cent and the retailer get forty. So when I went to Mississippi I'm like, look, there's a field right across from the co-op. Me and some children, we start planting, growing food, bringing it right across the street to the co-op. We had no overhead. We didn't have to buy no boxes. We got 100% on the dollar, and people got it the same day it came out the ground. But the people didn't want to see it, so they, they pulled a plug on it. They want to sit here and grow some watermelon and ship them from Mississippi to Boston. I don't, I don't understand that, 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 that the logic. And see, black farmers still have the same mindset that they could be successful because all of farm, I mean, I farm personally in my lifetime. I farm on 35 different soils, 35. And I noticed that each of these communities that I lived in, there were people right in the neighborhood that had to eat. And they were driving to the city limits to buy food when all this food was produced right within a minute to five minutes from right. Mm-hmm. And the people who they go the into the supermarket it. to get right what comes from right across the street from them to take it. I can't I can't understand it. And I, I I realize with that experience no matter how much you want something to be, there's a spiritual dynamic behind why they couldn't resonate. As much sense as it made. But right. you feel something and why they couldn't grasp something that was so simple. Can I interject? Sure. Um, may it be that if a person is composed of hybrids, that person will be attracted <laughs> to hybrids? No, I'm just serious. Like, because you, you, you're talking about, you know, especially the mentality of when you're saying we're adopting this particular um, ideology, this, this Western mind, and I'm saying if you take that same process that you're talking about and you apply it to what was purported, what they said took place over here in regards to breeding, okay, and all of this is domestication, okay? So the domestication of a food source, is that not the same thing that they're doing to the domestication of society and to a species? 
who ultimately are, you know, a food source in, within itself for higher dimensional beings or for higher dimensional beings that are on a lower dimension. So with that being mm-hmm. said, you know, if, if a person has that hybrid blood in them and then a the person is partaking in hybrid intake of food from day one, there's not too many of us who haven't been raised on Similac Gerber's straight to McDonald's. Very mm-hmm. few people have been breastfed. And shout out to Mama Pill because she held down twins. You know what I'm saying? She she needs a reward or something. Yeah, okay. That was a magnanimous task, you know. But that's not how the majority of children are being raised, you know, in women that are breastfeeding, for what I understand, this is not a general indictment of every single one. But then they're bringing it full term, you know. So at some point, the baby's going to the bottle, then the baby's doing soy, or the baby's doing this, or the baby's doing that. So if we're looking at genetics, and we're looking at DNA and the reconfiguration and restranding and everything of that nature, are people, you know, pretty much attracted to this hybridization because it's part of them at this point? You know, that's, a, that's a, such a divine revelation, and it's absolutely true because, you know, our brains, our neurological, our endocrine, all of the systems in our body are composed of DNA. So the DNA in the plant is mutated, and the body was yes. created such that if a species emerged in a certain ecosystem, nature made sure that it had food that was most vital to keep it at the same optimal level in which it was brought into form. So now that we have been eating these foods that are so transgendered from our original form, it has to affect us emotionally, neurologically, through yes. our endocrine, our digestive, and, and every level, and, and mental, and emotional. Oh, yes. Know. Like, I, I use this as an example when trying or when explaining this to people just to, for them to get a, a, a clearer picture, okay? Because these days, because the emotions are so high because the food is so transgender, people get emotional very quickly, and they like defending hybridization in any and every form that it comes in. They like defending mutation in any and every form that it comes in. And they're like, just let it be. Just People have the right to do this and eat McDonald's and stay right. Just, just leave them alone. And they'll get very defense, defensive and things of that nature. So I use this method to, to teach. And I say, my brother or my sister, I say, let's look at the science of the matter. Let's look at uh, GMO. GMO for that matter. And I say GMOs have two characteristics. Science has identified two distinctive characteristics in genetically modified organisms, right? For this instance, we're talking, let's talk about, you know, the Monsanto jump-offs or what have you, okay? They're seeds. So they have, their seeds are terminated seeds. So the two distinct characteristics that they have is they terminate after one use, and they're weather resistant, okay? 
So I said, family, now let's take a look at this. I said, let's go to society because, like you said, nature will always be the best qualifier. Where research gets thumbed at and where science can't reach, nature will express itself. Mm -hmm. So one summer on 125th Street leading into fall and winter, I got that whole run. So I was able to see people's, you know, um, mannerisms, you know, how they went about their days, their activity. I was street vending, so I was positioned in one spot, and I was able to see people come and go day to day, same people, okay? So I just started observing them. And 125th is the food fair of the world. Like, it was just getting heavy for traffic, so you get a, a real good slice of even if we want to consider what we call um, East, you know, East Coast melanated family, you know, so carbonated, melanated people from just about everywhere was passing through there. As it got closer and closer to the autumn months and Jack Frost started coming through there and he was biting, it was like 20 degrees. It blew me away when I started noticing um, young women that had these leather jackets that stopped near where their neighbor was at and their pants started underneath the hip bone, so all of the rest of that was exposed. It was flesh. I'm talking about they didn't have scarves on. Some of them had their jackets open. You know what I'm saying? And the majority of them, I always would notice they had, like, either they was drinking a McDonald's cup or they had a McDonald's bag in their hand, right? And then when I saw the brothers coming down the street, the brothers would have their um, their, their pants down and their, their drawers would be exposed, which to me meant that they were exposing their testicles to, to, to increment, you know, whether it was like 20-something, 30-degree weather. Now, scientifically, if your testicles are controlling, they're like the thermometers of your body, right? They're controlling the homeostasis of your body, so they have to be kept at a certain temperature in order to regulate the heat. Why would somebody expose their drawers in 20-degree weather with an open coat? Now, in New York, we used to pay thousands of dollars to stay warm, I'm talking about from Sherlins to Sheepskins to North Face to Bubbles to whatever. You know what I'm saying? It was a tradition that we always had to stay buttoned up. Nobody wanted to get Jack Frost because you'll have walking pneumonia or something. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, you could really get jacked up. But I no longer see that level of respect, you know what I'm saying, for Frost with the younger generations that have been straight GMO'd. You know what I'm saying? It might have been like a daybreak out of their entire life, but they might have come into contact with something that resembled fruit. Even that was hybrid, but just like once, maybe a fruit, once. Everything else is fast, you know what I'm saying, processed food. From, from Gerber or from the bottle, from Similac, Pedialyte, the Gerber, the Burger King, the McDonald's, and beyond. And then I started noticing it was women pushing baby carriages with lesbian mates with them. And the, the, the mates that they would have with them was what we call AGs. They're called the aggressive. They're the ones that look like Little Wayne. So the cats on their face, the braids, hands hanging low, flat chest. Like they, they look like they would be men, 
in another lifetime. You know what I'm saying? Like the 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 the, the coding got twisted somewhere, and they've just taken on these mannerisms where they look a certain way. It's a template. It's just a look. You know what I'm saying? Just like when you look at like I'm out in California, and when you see gay melanated men out here. They they have a certain template look like it's almost like an alien possession almost because they look like a different the, the the way that they are morphed is a different species and they have a different psychology altogether you know what I'm saying so how much of that do you think could possibly be attributed to plant hybridization or just a, a, a alien species whether it be a plant you know, or some sort of consciousness that resonates with that hybridization that they're easily being able to be programmed with it. So two characteristics, like I said, a terminator seed. If the woman just had that child, and that child is three to six months old, but she has made a lifetime decision to have a lesbian partner, at what point were they interacting sexually when she knew that she wanted to make that decision? Hmm? And the, the 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 girlfriend would be like with the hand around her. I'm talking about totally playing the male, the role of the the father of the male, or what have you, in that dynamic. And when I would look in their faces, they would be totally resigned to it, like they're just with it. This is what it is. They made the decision and they're rocking with it. Those are characteristics of those GMOs that they have now become, in my observation. You know. Yeah, I, I see the same thing. Definitely. Again, this is this is not an attack on transgender. I'm just clearly with open eyes recognizing that there's characteristics that are indicative. If you go, and then I started traveling the country, and I saw the same thing everywhere. It was the same thing. You know what I'm saying? So I, I I really think that um the field of study needs to be widened in regards to if a person is eating GMOs for seven years straight, is that person not now a GMO? And how can you bring someone who is now entirely rewired neurologically and everything else, how can you bring that person back to what we consider a quote-unquote person? This is invasion of the body snatchers, pop people. Mm-hmm. It's true. Very different. When, when, yeah. Yeah. when I seen that movie back in the back in the days, I knew exactly wildly enough. When I saw it, I knew it to be real. Like that's a real movie. I don't know how they're gonna go about doing it, but my mother explained it to me the other day. She was like, "You don't remember how it, they did it? They brought a plant in. It was a hybrid plant, and that plant was the one that seeded. You know what I'm saying?" If it, 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 it poured its seed or whatever it did, it transferred the seed, and that's how they went about potting the people. You know, interesting in, in in the book of Leviticus, chapter nineteen, verse nineteen, it says, "Thou shalt not sow thy field with mingled seed." Hmm. You know, and right. just to look at the, the, the term gene mutation, you know, which comes from breeding. How it's a, right, a right. permanent, a permanent, irreversible damage to the DNA. 
And see, the, the original and, DNA and, and, is, 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 is likened to the embryotic or the master stem cell. Exactly. Let me, and this is what I'm saying. Also, All of that, that criteria that I broke down is about how a person may have lived their lives for the duration of their time being, but we also have to factor in the, the, at the, the point of conception, you know, the, and just, you know, their parents, okay, might have been living that lifestyle. So the seed was already mutated. The seed was already compromised. It created them. It just born them into this particular reality where it was that much more easier for them to gravitate towards that lifestyle because mm-hmm. that's what they're magnetically attracted to based on, you know, the, the, the consistency of the seed as a species at this point. Everything gives off a vibration and a frequency and a signal. So, so it is, it's, you know, when you, when you really start studying the species, and what I'm talking about is the quote-unquote human, and how they have responded, you know, how they have changed. Like we had a brother on this program last Friday, shout out to Brother Brian. He was explaining certain cosmological cycles, and he was explaining in 2027, just based on where things are going, you know, people will be more detached. Okay, there will be people that that whole family setting of, you know, gathering at the mama's house and enjoying Sunday dinner and all of those things, those things are things that are vanishing, you know. Children that are being born that are totally apathetic, you know, have no feelings towards nothing. That's where this particular species is moving towards. So, you know, in so many ways, I'm looking at this process and I'm seeing that this is the wheel, this is the mechanism that pushes it that particular way. Because I, I, like, I just can't help but looking at the similarities in terms of the characteristics of these seeds, these terminated seeds. Many of these children are just straight up deciding that they're terminating their, their line at this point. They're not going to further it. It's just done. It's dead. You know? And then also what we need to take notice of is the signal, the calling that went out when Nicki Minaj was like, where's my Barbies at? And all of the women responded, why do they identify with a plastic figurine to the point where they have not only identified with being plastic, but they took the next step, you know, and they started becoming plastic, plastic in the lips, plastic in the butt, plastic in the hair, plastic everywhere. I'm in L.A. It's just, there's some people that are walking around that are like, <laughs> like plastic, straight up, you know what I'm saying? So I, I'm, I'm just, like I said, I'm just observing nature, you know, and, and, and watching and witnessing because there has to be some sort of sign of the mutation. How can we identify the nature? And we, we have we have a huge responsibility ahead of us. Nobody's going to do it for us. We are the, we are the only one. We are the only one that can resolve this. The, the native the native people of the earth are the only ones that can resolve this. 
So we got an inclination to sit around and wait on somebody else to do it, consider it not done. Oh, no, nah, no. Nah. That's, no, that's not going to happen. No, it ain't going to happen because I'm with that fighting <laughs> where I'm going to transform. But my objective is to dedicate myself to eat nothing but wild foods so I can be here an extended period of time to do everything possible. So stuff that's being planted right now, once it produces, if I eat at a restaurant, it's going to be, have to be a restaurant that we sell food to. And from here on out, yes. wild food, nothing else. Nothing else. So what what would be a comprehensive plan in terms of, you know, where do we go from here, brother? That's a good question. You know, actually, that's something as a collective as to the how, but the what is we definitely have to uncover avenues to place these seeds into urban farming enterprises, because they are where most of the people at is in the city, and then gradually shift them to certain rural areas, which would be more difficult because the rural farmers farm on a more larger scale, so they look to sell to industry. Industry is not interested in wild foods, so the people are more likely right. to, to attain these foods will keep the people on a grassroots level, which is in the cities. Right, and, and I mean, right. That's where people like the brother Diallo Sekou come in and people like Michael Singleton with the uh, Farmers Associate, uh, Farmers Alliance, you know, the people that have the models and the templates to create farmer markets and or different chains of distribution, you know what I'm saying, our own restaurants, our own markets in each city. Each city is surrounded by a rural area, you know, the rural areas are right outside of Detroit. Rural areas are right outside of New York and New Jersey. Rural areas are right outside of, out right outside of uh, Los Angeles. Shout out to Sister Nova and the uh, Christmore Farms up in San Bernardino. You know, there are families that are out here that have access. They have land. You know, they they need hands though. You know what I'm saying? They need participants. They need people that are willing to put that work in, you know what I'm saying, get their hands dirty and get up mm-hmm. in the dirt. And and that more so is what we're finding a shortage of, a shortage of. what you're bringing forth is um, phenomenal within itself. But we also need the volunteers. We need the hands. We need the people that see the importance of this, that, that have not become part of people, you know? Right. Right. And it's like right. amazing anybody's that you're going to look around and, you know, you're not going to be able to find many people who haven't been, quote, unquote, bitten by the bug. All right. And that's why I want to make a, make a, a strong emphasis that our only form of survival is to go back to wild foods. Because I will say that 99.9% of all organic foods is mutated and 100% of all conventional foods is mutated. So the only way we can revitalize our original form and our vitality and reverse this these increasing numbers of genetic going abnormalities is to and, and to raise our levels of intelligence and 
acquire the ability to detach from, from this transcendent uh, connection and gravitation we have. Because, you know, one, one thing about wild seeds, I realized I planted wild seeds in good soil and I planted them in not so good soil. Only when I'm saying not so good, only from a standpoint that it's not it's not biologically active. Chemically, everything is right. in place, but it's the, it's the biology that awakens it and changes certain nutrients into a plant available form. Because the mineral rock form from the parent rock material, plant can absorb all of them. It's, you know, a lot of your anions or acidic forming elements such as you know nitrogen, carbon. Uh, boron, molybdenum, sulfur, phosphorus, all those forms, the plant can't absorb it in an elemental form. It takes the, the biological substances to take it and oxygenate them into what's called uh, a nitrate or a phosphate or a sulfate. Right. And that's the only form in which the plant can absorb it. So even when soil wouldn't even really biologically active, and I planted wild seeds, Nothing pathogenic occurs because pathogens occur because the electromagnetic field that a plant emits, and there's an infrared spectrum of pathogenic activity. So if the plant has weak genetics, even in good soil, if it got weak genetics, it's going. That's why that's what, that's what happened to organic. A lot of organic farmers have pretty good soil. They use compost tea. They use compost. But why do they still have to spray and use? ladybugs and all that because the seed is weak. So the plant is still emitting uh, a magnetic frequency that's within that pathogenic infrared zone, and it's, and it's basically a way of telling nature that I'm not a part of the ecological process, and I don't need to be here. So get rid of me. And that's just what the bugs do. So they keep fighting the bugs, and I realize that, wait a minute, you're not in alignment with nature because the plant is wild, if it's native, will never succumb to any pathogen, you know, never. You know, so we have to change agriculture. We, we, we can't li listen to the examples that have been presented to us. A few of them, you know, a uh, lady by the name of Elaine Ingham, uh, you know, the Biodynamic Farming Association, you know, they bring some very significant substance to the table, you know, uh, there's community-supported agriculture, which is vital, because even people in rural areas who have a large scale, if they can have a presentation to present to their members, like, like we, we did in Chicago, where people bought into the wild foods. You know, all they wanted to know was a recipe on how to prepare it. It was very easy. You know, once you do a presentation that like we did showing the, we were showing on the overhead the gene mutation from a wild pair to a cultivar, and the difference was the wild pear had less flesh for the larger seed. The cultivar had more flesh and a lesser seed. And people always look at this quantity versus quality. The, the, the hybrid stuff, the genetic altar stuff, it may have bigger size, it may have greater yield with a lot of the plants, but the substance, you make it eat five wild strawberries and a whole handful of cultivars, and you can be rest assured that you would get a lot more vital substance, but we have this mindset that more is more instead of more being less. And that's the thing, that we have to come out that mindset thinking that um, just because the quantity is lesser, 
the quality is greater. And that's the thing about the wow, because when I first got here, I, t- I bought about 35 trays of wild plants on a one-way trip from Georgia to here. And when we began to eat those, I realized that I just ate one time in a day, and I was more than satisfied, more than satisfied. I, I didn't have any inclinations of hunger whatsoever. Right. And I, and I realized how the, the vital feeling, I mean, I'm 49 years old, and I feel better than I was when I was 19. You know, even on the field, I I work with people in their 20s and their 30s, and I I, I work them under the the dirt. For every one break I take, they take three or four. (laughs) (laughs) That vitality, you know, you got real food and you have electric, you know, you got that electric food, say we always talking about. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. So they brought it over here and they bring that food. So, you know, so basically what I'm asking is who is willing to help? I tell people, this is not my endeavor. This is our endeavor. I'm just a facilitator. I'm, 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 we what you call the initial facilitators, but not the final. So that means that we just jumpstart the process. Now other people have the responsibility to step in because we need a seed bank in different locations. You can't be vulnerable with just one. Because she favored exchange had a flood in Missouri, in Iowa, and it wiped out their whole collection. But what happened? They had hundreds of members who collectively had the entire stock. And what they did, each person who had multiple or individual varieties, they donated the seed back to them, and they repopulated their whole stock. But see, one person means one word, vulnerability. Life is a sequence of interdependent cohesiveness, not an individual thing. We've seen from the past, this present century in the 1900s, that leadership behind one person is a failure. Life is collective. It's an interdependent process. Like nature, the tree depends on the rain. It depends on the, the biology. It depends on the atmospheric substance. Even etheric and astral forces govern plants when we get that deep with them. So... It's always about the mo- a multitude of energies sequencing together to bring about a certain process. So, you know, we have that responsibility. So it's just a matter of us stepping up, basically seeing what role we can play to bring this into fruition. You know, because I don't want to get to the point where I ain't going to pay my rent because I want to buy these seeds because there's times when I've seen seeds available and I wasn't able to get them at that moment. And once I got the money to get them, they were gone. And a few of them never were offered again. Because the big boys are buying out these companies. So it's not like we have a luxury awaiting. And it definitely It should not be based on my pocket. (laughs) You know, so. And I'm I'm a million percent attuned, focused, and dedicated in like five to seven hours every day for the last 13 or 14 days. I've never put this kind of focus and energy. And I never even decided to do it. I just found myself doing it. When I look, I'm like, oh, wow. I didn't realize I was doing, I've been at it like this. Because I picked up a book that I had for years called Enduring Seeds. And I went to this one website. 
and that one site, one website alone, I was able to acquire over 175 wild and indigenous foods from just one catalog alone. And that's the company that that basically has about 85 to 89% wild and indigenous foods from Mexico, New Mexico, Arizona, and a, and a little bit in Texas. And I said, wow, it's no coincidence that I moved to Texas and that I've had this book for years. But right. realizing that there's certain books I get and the content of the book is not for the now. It's for a period in time that would allow make itself known that I would not be the determination of that. Because something inside me will just gravitate me and align me into that. So I, I keep that channel open. I, I, I never want to try to think things out. You know, Dr. Handout said, man proposes, the universe disposes. You plan one thing, and something else unfolds. So to me, things are just tentative, because the universe is the master planner. Yes. Yes, indeed. Yes, I remember my, my, my short time spent in Houston. Um, the food and just everything was growing so wild out there that I was getting a whole different electrical charge in my body for being in that environment is very conducive to growth and expedient growth, you know, just by the way that I saw things growing wild. Yeah. And I was going to say that, you know, you mentioned about the uh, International Farmers Alliance. I'm a part of it. That, that was there was one intricate reason why I transitioned to Houston. And, you know, we basically collect and disseminate information and, look at guidelines on how to bring it into manifested form as far as growing native crops, being able to sustain ourselves off the very things that are needed, that are necessary, that are perfect for the ecology. And um, so I'm glad to be a part of that organization, you know, looking forward to grow, looking for more people to come on board. Because, you know, we have to realize that we, as a melanated people, don't control any aspect of our lives as far as that which we dwelled in, these clothes we put on our back that's made from synthetic petroleum, like your rayon, your polyester, this cotton that's genetically engineered, genetically modified, is sprayed with lethal chemicals, then the dyes in the clothes is made from petroleum, unlike things such as kinef, lemon, and hemp, which are natural fibers, which are native, which are self-seeding wild plants, that I diet with natural fibers like matter, indigo, saffron, and other plant species that are natural colored, you know, using natural paints and natural wood preservatives. We have to come back to what's natural because the synthetic world we've been living in is depleting the environment. And it's significantly spearheaded this most recent phenomenon such as that typhoon. You know, when you, increase, yes. when, you, when you increase CO2 levels with all this deforestation, constantly cutting down trees, it takes 50 and 75 years to go back. Can you, can you please speak on that, brother? Because, you know, people are going to say it's harp and this and it's that, but I want you to speak on what you just mentioned, please. All right. The one determining factor that you can know that it's not harp is that anytime something happens in, in the earth, 
In the depths of the earth, there's a subtle vibration that animal species only pick up on and some of the native people. That's why in every last one of these events, you have not seen any animal tragedies because they feel those subtle vibrations and they move to higher ground, just like with the tsunami. A heart can't do that because it's not created within the depths of the earth. There's something outside the earth. So you couldn't pick up on those subtle vibrations. It would just happen. You look at in Haiti, in Chile, you look at all the earthquakes that's sort of massive that have occurred, you haven't seen one animal casualty. But see, the thing is this. There's nothing that I feel good about. But all my life, us as melanated people, I've never met anybody that studies ecology. And I think because we're so city-bound, and I, I, I'm glad I had the fortune to live in the city and then live in the rural and, and take on that dynamic that Dr. Sebi said. Until you can see both perspectives, you can't intelligently analyze one. That's deep. So I could better analyze the city living outside of it than when I was in it. Hold on, hold on, brother. You, 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 you with the quotables, man. You, you ringing them up. I got to give you one just to put it on record, man. I got to. I would be remiss if I didn't. Thank you. Please continue. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I feel blessed to have all these elders in my life, you know, uh, some that have transitioned. And there's always things that they have instilled in me that are more prevalent in my life now than ever before. So I guess I feel more gratitude and appreciation, not only having them in the same space, but the fact that I acknowledge the significance that they brought to the table, you know, and and realizing now that the responsibility I have, that you have to become what you look for in others, because I sat back on the sidelines, remaining humble, didn't want to really assert myself, so I laid back. But as the more I stepped back and I didn't see, you know, the activities that we really need, because when you are an ethnic group of people and you don't control, what well, my mother always taught me about prioritization, what are the priorities in life? Food, shelter, clothing, fresh water, air, different forms of energy, electricity, fuel for your car. Well, there's plant-based alternatives that are perpetual. You know, energy can be harnessed from all these different plant forms, and we still depending on coal burning, gasoline, you know, uh, these homes made with this synthetic uh, insulation, this drywall, you know, all these artificial things, and that if we examine living in the city, city living, which 85% of the world population is, is in alignment with, every single aspect of that uh-huh. living is, de- is detrimental to the progressive idea of ecology. And people say, well, the earth is not overpopulated. We got all the open land. I'm like, what about your native grasses? and your native species that have an affinity to that native grass. When we study ecology, you realize that human beings ain't the most divine thing in the world, and nature created all these hundreds and thousands and millions of life forms for a reason. And until we can explore nature and see what their purpose and the intent for being here, then you will realize that if I expand our population to take over their space, I'm disrupting, disrupting a necessary component within the ecology. And once you take out one right. change, the whole demonstration is disrupted. Has a, has a rippling effect, yeah. 
you know, the same way that they said the batting of a butterfly's wings, you know, creates movements and in, 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 in water systems across the planet, you know, the stirring of the storms that originate out of those those West African waters, you know, what does cutting a, a virgin forest down do? You know what I'm saying? That is put in place for certain ecological reasons to keep the plant keep things in balance. Like people really don't understand the magnificence and the importance of the insect kingdom, of the mineral kingdom, of the animal kingdom. These particular kingdoms are absolute. Like there are no mistakes in the mineral kingdom. Insects are not, you know, uh, hampered by choices. They know exactly what they came here to do, and they're doing it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like they don't, they don't, they don't make. They're not, they're not procrastinators. They're not lazy. They don't make mistakes. You know, they're absolute. You know what I'm saying? And that's key because we look at mosquitoes, and that the reason why mosquitoes are went rampant. I observe in this book I got called Environment and Man. They talk about the species that kept the mosquito population in check was the mass because that species had an affinity to a certain tree that they completely almost the mass. So when you cut down trees, not only are you dealing with the CO2 factor, you're dealing with the diversity of species. Certain species have an affinity to certain trees. You know, because I, I watch a lot of documentaries on planet Earth from an ecological, geological, uh, I got, a, I got a, a massive library, and my appreciation and understanding and attunement to this process. So I'm, a, I'm like on a fixated mode that the only space I can operate in is my mind is always yearning to be in alignment with that progressive process and, and keep remaining that humility and never making compromises. Right. So if I got a project somebody wants to do, and that project involves cutting down any tree other than a pine tree. Why do I say a pine tree? Because a pine tree is the only tree in this country that can replenish itself in one generation, every 20 to 25 years. So that means that if there's a family that has some pine trees, and they want to use the trees for building homes or cash-in for some money, they cut the trees down, get their compensation, get some houses built, and then when the next generation gets to about 20 to 25 years old, those trees would have grown back up. That's why I like this. Right. Indeed. Yeah, like, we're going to be also, and there's going to be a brother that comes forth and speaks about the magnificence of these kingdoms that, a lot of people don't, you know, they don't speak about. They they may have forgotten be that cognizant of. So once some things are, are put into proper context and presented to the family, it always serves as an eye-opener. Eye for me, you know, when his brother shared this information about the magnificence of the insect kingdom and how much we really are relying upon them. I mean... Just family, listen to what they're saying about that hybrid bumblebee and how much, you know, you're relying upon that bee. You know, they got you going for that one. So, hello, brother, yeah? 
Uh, okay, his phone dropped, but he's back on the line. Let me go and open up the slide. Pull up from the 773, Brother Terrence. You back with us. Peace. Yes, sir. Yes. Yes. I would personally highly recommend people get a book on ecology because we don't have an understanding on how to live with the earth. We are part of the mass, and, and I realize it, you know, you know, that, that self-examination is a very challenging process, you know, that detachment, even when it comes to the science of yoga, and you deal with those, that eightfold process of liberating and transcending one consciousness, you know, dealing with the yama and niyama, which is the self-righteousness and self-discipline, the asanas and the pranayamas, which is the postures and the breathing, and then the pratyahara, which is the detachment. That's the clinical step. But now you move on to dhyana, which is concentration, dhyana, dhyana, which is meditation, and then the transcendental level. But until we can get past that detachment, as we saw in the, in the movie, uh, with, with the bleak do we know that the cell would rather create a continuity with something mutated and habit-forming than it would something of nutrition because it's been compromised by that transgenic DNA. So people would rather, if it's a wild plant over here, a wild durian fruit or a wild passion fruit and some starch, the cell would resonate to the starch. So that's the cycle of our psyche we have to break. Like you were saying, people defending food. I mean, I've been on a tech mode when I talked about soy. I'm like, well, first of all, let's look at the plant kingdom. Plants are divided into five kingdoms. Plants that serve ecological purposes, medicinal, nutritional, cosmetic, and industrial. That's why they group together in families. That's why I understand in botany, and biochemistry, you can look at the molecular form, the polymers, the peptides, different uh, substances, and know what, what, this, what role this plant plays. And we can, when we can look at the dynamics, we can look at soy and say, wait a minute, George Washington Carver was making plastic with it because soy is an excellent biodegradable plastic. A lot of newspapers in different parts of this country use soy ink. So yes. something is used ink, and it's a biodegradable plastic, and there's one polymer away from being plastic, then a polymer, a plastic polymer is not an indication of nutrition. So rather than going back what somebody else said, if somebody would have took the time out and said, let's look at this soy plant. What purpose do it serve? Why did nature create it? And that was always my approach. I realized that Nature was always the best teacher, so if I really wanted to be thorough in understanding something, then rather than drawing on what somebody told me or what was passed down to us and we just accept it openly without questioning or cross-examination or validation, then nature will unveil all that it is to know. That, that I don't care if it's a navy bean, a black eyed pea, all of them are legumes. And those particular lagoon families were industrial plants. So if you go back and look at the native people of the world, you look at the food they ate, the plants that they used to make cosmetics, to make dyes, fabrics, 
So I started collecting a lot of books. And I remember going to Egypt in 89, and the, the focus of everybody on the trip was, what God were they worshiping? Was it Amen or Pata? I was focused on how did they make their paint last 5,000 years? What did they make their clothes last? <laughs> right. I, that's what I was How did they on. make that paint last 5,000 years? What an inquiry. What did you come up with? Plant dyes, the natural dyes, like from indigo and ladder and saffron, even yellow dye. Because I used to I used to be in this place called the Textile Art Center on the north side of Chicago, and I took a class on looming and spinning. And I took, like, some cotton, mm-hmm. and I dipped it in some yellow dye, and I turned the yellow, and I took the cotton and I spinned it in the fabric and then took the fabric and, and loomed it into a fabric. You know, so that's what really mm-hmm. got me interested because clothing is so important. And I, I, I vowed that I'm going to stop wearing these synthetic clothes. Even buying African garb is difficult because the last few pieces of African garb I bought. I looked on the tag. It said made in, in, in China. Korea. In Korea. Yeah. Korea. Yeah. yeah, you got you to gotta get a direct link, you know, to the continent. There's a brother out there in Houston. I'm going to keep up with. He gets his stuff oh, in Kenya. Oh, perfect. Yeah, his his mother goes over there. Um. Yeah, so whew, that's crazy, man. Like, yeah, you know, I was looking at the Mexican the other day in terms of being cognizant of a species and the people that you're surrounded by, and I'm watching the eating patterns. And I'm like, okay, the, the maize, the corn, I get, you know, tortilla and everything like that. But the legumes that you were just talking about, the beans and the rice, you know, I wonder at what point they started that. And is there any clear indicative health concerns that they experienced as a community on a wider scale? Because you're, you're in Texas. You see how they eat. You see how they go in. <laughs> yes. They're, you know, food is culture for them. You know, but they don't. I don't. I don't. I don't really see them registering at the top of these lists when it comes to health concerns. Do you think certain people are better adapted to integrate hybrids, especially if that particular species or what they call "quote unquote" race is a hybrid race to begin with? That's an excellent point. Like the European, does the European have better success with soy? Just like the Mexican, does have better success with the bean? What well, well, definitely after that, the more mutated you are, the better you can adapt to mutated food. The more original you are, the mutated food has a more adverse effect. Why? Because it's so much further from your original form. I mean, if something had an original form that was mutated to begin with, of course, mutated food will be right in alignment. It's almost like when they use these terminated seeds, those terminated seeds uh-huh. can, can only grow under the exposure of certain anhydrous ammonia and chemical fertilizers. If you try to put some seeds in, in natural fertile soil, they wouldn't do nothing. Right. It's like a perfect match, a, a perfect marriage. And that, that's why being in a cold weather and being in this in adverse environment affects us more because we further, I mean, if you look at the origin of the ecosystem that something has originally taken form in, and you let it transgress or migrate to an area that's contrary to where it came from, it will have 
a much more adverse effect. Whereas if you got somebody who was who came into their form in a cold environment and they live in a cold environment, they write at home. It's almost like taking broccoli and growing it in the northern temperate region of America versus trying to put it in South America. It ain't gonna fare well. Right. One second, brother. I almost lost track of the time. We have a minute to go okay. until we get this uh, meditation underway. So okay. please, family, um, take a moment. All right. Let's internalize this information. Let's beam our concentration and our thoughts and our intents off of this full moon. And let's fertilize many regions with the seed banks. Okay, family? People from all over the globe are listening tonight. We need C banks where you are. We need you to step up. We need you to hear this calling. Know the importance that we are um, illustrating. You know that the information that's being passed to you is vital info. Okay, this is the sounding of the trumpets for your food supply. So let's go into the meditation. All right, family, and we will be back shortly. All right, and we'll see you on the other side. Peace. Oh, oh, oh. 
one is group support because it's an it's an addiction. Group. Matter of fact, matter of fact, group. You say not, group support. Yeah, it's, it's not yes. it's not a battle. It's, it's basically when you have to check in to Alcoholic Anonymous or drug rehab. The thing that yes. Like the stock sensors, the one thing it has in common with those two is the same receptor sites on the cell. You know, those neurotransmitters are activating the same process through alcohol, cocaine, and heroin addiction as it is in starch addiction. So you have to go through mm. rehab. You have to cleanse your body of all the residue of that. You have to be put, you know, it would be good for somebody to be, to go to a place like a healing retreat where nothing but optimal food is served, where a person won't have no choice but to. And they lack that individual willpower, and everybody has their support. And even once you have stayed at a place like that for a duration, and when you go back out into the world, whenever you feel enticed, you know, people that you can talk to, you can call when you feel in those moments of weakness, to call and give you that encouragement and support. Like I have this book called From the First Fight. Fast Tips to Overcoming Food Addiction. And the reason why people just can't stop because they don't see it as a as a drug addiction. Right, addiction, right. They just look at it, oh, I, I, just, I like the food. No, it, it's so much deeper than like. There's a chemical and neurological affinity to that food, psychological affinity, emotional affinity. And what happens is we eat, when we eat those starches, it just it disrupts the whole endocrine balance because of the body to start producing estrogen, which upsets the progesterone, the prolactin, the luteinizing hormone, the follicle stimulating hormone, and so forth. So the, the disruption of that one estrogen hormone disrupts all the other hormones in the endocrine system by way of the pituitary gland and the ovaries and the liver. Because estrogen is not a compound in itself. It has like three precursors that come together to form estrogen. Two of those are located in the liver and one is in the ovary. And when they come together as one, it forms what we know as estrogen. You know, we have to be familiar with our our anatomy and physiology. You know, how how does the body function? And what foods were intended for the body? And how do you know what foods? Real simple. From what I learned from earthworms and biology and from other species in nature, that the chemical makeup of the food is exactly a reflection of the chemical makeup of the cell. That's why if you look at the water content, protein, and more so the enzymatic protein and the structural protein, which people probably never even heard of, they just thought it was just protein. I realized it was different, three different dynamics of a protein. And the fat content, and then the carb content. And then looking at what form does the cell require the carbohydrate in and all the other elements. Well, you know, the the cell has a permeable wall that only allows protein, starches, I mean carbs and fats in individual form, which are basically monosaturites, amino acids, and fatty acids. Complex components cannot enter the permeable wall of the cell. So they don't get absorbed through what's called the microvilli. They go to the colon and get absorbed through the lacteal villi, which goes right into the lymph system, which tells you that the food is a waste. And I will say this right quick. There was a study done in Swiss where they took a known toxin 
and injected it into a person's body. And they were looking for the response of the diversity and the quantity of immune cells. Then they gave the person some raw food. They noticed no increase in white blood cells whatsoever. Then they gave the person cooked food. And they said that they observed that not only was it a synonymous observation of the same diversity of white blood cells or quantity, but they realized that the body was viewing the cooked food as a threat and a toxin. And I tell people, complex food, the body can't digest. The immune function, which is why people are compromised with so much illness, is because the microphage and the phagocytes, they consume a majority of what the body can bring down. Complex carbs have 200 sugars in one grouping, whereas fruit has one sugar. So if the cell can only absorb these things in individual form, wouldn't it make sense to eat it in the individual form where the body don't even have to metabolize it? It's a direct absorption. The body has to dispense no energy, but then the, the food revitalizes the body with its own food enzymes. But if we eat the food in its cooked form, and it's complex. The body can't break those 200 sugars down to individual form. It can't do it. It's impossible because the body right. wasn't made for it, and the food was not made for us. You know, seeds was made for birds. That's why they have a gizzard. You know, nuts was made for animals that have a high-fat content. Our cells only require 1% fat. Nuts have anywhere between 15% and 12% fat. What is the body going to do? with that excess because the cells have what they call selective transport. That means that the cell is only designed to absorb, absorb that which composes it. Mm-hmm. And another quick example, you take a, a earthworm. Mm-hmm. A earthworm has a 10 to 1 carbon to nitrogen ratio. It ain't no coincidence that the only thing in nature that it can uh, digest is grass because grass has the same 10 to 1 carbon to nitrogen ratio. Bacteria has a 5 to 1 to 10 to 1 nitrogen ratio, and that's the only thing it can absorb is green leafy vegetation and grass. A fungi has anywhere between 20 and 200 carbon to nitrogen ratio. That's why timber laying down in the forest can only be decomposed by a specialized fungi. So I look at I look at this affinity between things. Certain things can only digest certain things because they have that same chemical affinity with each other. Right. And it, and it all comes from nature once again. Nature show gives you the best guidelines. I mean, okay. if, I, if, I'm growing, if I'm growing certain things in the soil and I want them to decompose, then I'm going to make sure that I expose the soil to a compost tea that's composed of more of the biological substance that has the affinity to break down. Like if I want to build some stable humus in soil, that gives the soil capacity to hold nutrients and water. Well, stable humus is composed of lignin and high carbohydrate content. So I need a predominant fungi in the compost tea, not bacteria, because bacteria don't have the substance to do it because of its carbon to nitrogen ratio is not in alignment. Mm-hmm. 
You know, so that's understanding these basic fundamentals. You know, lesson high tech. No, no. You know, I think this guy named Don, uh, Donald Eric said, if it's complex, it ain't correct. If it's simple, it's correct. That's how nature works. Uh, I said that's how nature works. Mm-hmm. But we think, you know, this simplicity. Remember, one guy told me. Sure. He said this. He said this Asian scientist was able to concentrate a molecule in a way in which nature couldn't. I said, no, in a way that nature wouldn't. <laughs> because, because nature don't deal with concentrates. So when we make the, when we juice vegetables and all that, you're creating a concentrate. Nature does not create concentrates. Man does. Uh, uh, uh. And actually those concentrates really don't nourish. They just give us such a, a jolt of energy because it's so concentrated. But the problem is that when you juice, when you extract something, you take it, it was created in whole form. So you take it what nature has created and you've altered it. So even though you may feel good for a few minutes, what's happening at a cellular level on a continuous process? At that moment, you feel, you know, virtuous and revitalized, you know, like with the wheatgrass. First of all, wheat is a mutant anyway. And second of all, that's not even chlorophyll. If you grow something indoors, light is one type, one thing. The photon rays and beams of, from the sun are much different than the light inside a room. Now, both will create what's called chloroplast, which is the green pigmentation, but not chlorophyll. That substance can only be created by the sun. You can't replicate nature. Right. But man just, man just keeps on trying. So I have two questions now based upon what you just said. One, your thoughts on permaculture, if that's the case, and I will get to the second one afterwards. You know, I studied Bill Mollison when I went to New Mexico in 1996 when I first got exposed to sustainability. And the thing was, when I was observing the models that he created, I didn't see them in nature. So I asked somebody a question. Can you show me one model of permaculture that can sustain a community? It don't exist. You know, permaculture, if it really is true, it's supposed to be a reflection of nature. Only problem is nature has subsequent variations that it creates based on time, space, and uh, environment. So if you took a permaculture design and you put it in this part of the world and put it in that part of the world, well, first of all, it's not sequencing because you don't find the same two configurations in two parts of the, of the world. There's always, there's always variation in nature. So permaculture yeah. basically is a, is a man-made construct. With some Western thoughts process in it. It's just something to be right. kind of dynamic, you know. You know, I any time somebody presents a model, there's a template that's an archetype in nature that I use as a rule of measure. I don't try to draw on what I understand. I draw on what nature has always presented has to me. Provided. So I, right. right. So I take the model of a permaculture, and then I cross-reference it to nature's archetype. And when I see inconsistencies in it, hey, it speaks for itself. I'm not saying it. 
nature has determined it. I just know nature presents the best archetype and the best rule of measure. You can't measure inches with a centimeter scale. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You're on a roll tonight with some quotables. So permaculture as a um, quote-unquote you know, a urban, a urban substitute. You know what I'm saying? If, if one wants to grow some food on their windowsill or right in their house, you wouldn't recommend it necessarily. I mean, a person can do it, but it's still going to be mutated. Now, if a person is okay with the lesser of the two, then I guess that's okay from that standpoint. But if the objective is to maintain a certain vitality of health, then, you know, I would suggest an urban garden. I think that's why urban gardens are good because a lot of times flower pots, you know, you don't have enough sunlight. But there's certain components that make the food what it truly is are just missing, and you just can't replace them with artificial environment. You know, so, right. so at least with, with, a, with an urban garden, you have a grouping of people working together as a collective, which is good. You're taking away the individuality. You know, when you bring other people into the fold of things, it just it just creates more continuity. Got it. So I do agree. You know, those are some wonderful negative ion environments. Everybody seems to be happy and in unison. Take it into account what you said about sunlight and artificial light. What are your thoughts, you know, especially me being here in California and I see that major crop is marijuana and, it's, it's, of course, it's a hybrid plant that they're growing out here, but they have so many different specimens and it's such a booming industry. It drives industry out here. Um, a lot of it is not. Uh, well, I can't say a lot of it, but I've been exposed to a lot of it that has been grown indoors, you know, hydroponics and what have you, people using these different plants, you know what I'm saying? I mean, these different lamps for the plants. So what are your thoughts on that entire process in terms of how that plant is being breeded, the actual use of the particular plant, um, the commercialization of it. What are your thoughts, please? Well, I guess if you start with the, first of all, the debris, you know, like the northern lights, all these man-made debris, the same process yes. of food. Secondly, hydroponically, you know, you have a, it's a chemical affinity that is lacking because the thing with a plant, the plant has the biological microbes that have an intuitive capacity to release nutrients right during the point in which the plant needs them. Hydroponically force feeds the plant because chemicals are always there. See, the plant has one group of hairs that absorbs and another that absorbs, uh, I mean, water, and the other one that absorbs uh, the process of what's called mineralization, or something makes a transformation from an organic to a mineral form, 
and then it's what's called plant available. That sequence is taking out the picture because you force feeding chemicals. There's no, you know, there's no biorhythmic regulation going on where things are given to the plant rhythmically. And that's something that can only happen in nature. You know, chemical solutions don't have that rhythmic affinity for, to align with a plant. And, of course, when you smoke it and do everything else with it, you know, I mean, marijuana by itself already paralyzes the brain cells. When you add all these chemicals in it, it just really makes you more delusional. Right. The, the droll, as they called it. And this stuff speaks. <laughs> it says you what now? I said it has a, a awful smell to it. Yes. You can smell. You can smell somebody fifty feet away, and they get that some of this stuff on them. They ain't even got to smoke it. They just got it in their pocket. Right. I grew some a few years ago when I was in Illinois, some, some uh, purple kush. I picked it and put it on the counter, went to town and came back, opened up the door, the whole house was lit up. <laughs> I'm like, whoa. Uh, the whole place popping up. <laughs> yeah. Now, there wasn't no good. It was natural. So I, I can't, I just got too much dedication to the natural process. I just can't, I can't compromise. I just, it's something that I just can't do. That's why I right. eat food. I mean, that's why I don't buy no more food. Uh, avocado is the only thing I buy. I'm not buying nothing else. But to me, I, I, you know, I had to wait till next year to grow a lot of, you know, what I call the first order of fruits. Those are the ones that produce in their second year. The blackberries, the blueberries, the black raspberries, uh, strawberries, the grapes, those are the one fruits that grow in the second year. Things like figs, kumquats, and others they produce in the third year. And you have your fourth order of fruits, and you have those that take five years. You know, so the only fruits I'm going to be eating is what's wild. I can't, you know, I just, I just had to take the position with myself, you know, challenge myself to not compromise. If I see it in the store, I just walk past it. You know, but actually in the produce section, the only thing I'm looking for is the avocado. And this coming summer, that wild avocado is going to be located. And we're going to grow it out. But the Haas avocado, speaking of California, came from a gentleman by the name of Haas who lives in California. He created he created right. breed. Yeah, that's his breed. Run a while. Breed, breed, breed. Crazy, ain't it? Wow. Okay, so I do have some hands up, brother. If you're ready okay. for the phone lines, we can get into that. Oh, uh, yeah, definitely ready. Okay, family, uh, you definitely already see some hands up in the call queue. Callers, I will be getting to you. I just want to let the family know if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, okay? If you came in late on the conversation, and you need to be brought up to date, um, feel free, press one. You know, we'll kick it with you real quick. All right. And for the callers that are on the line, I want to take this time to go to the first caller. Let's roll the dice. Let me go to caller from the 843. 
as of yet nobody has done it, but there's something called a hydrogen plasma generator. It takes the hydrogen in the form of a fog and use it to power generators that can run perpetually. Wow. Because the, because the energy is liberated from water. See, the solar systems that they design are all inefficient because the power that be have bought a stake in the solar and other industries, and they create systems that are very inefficient. You see, if we look at wind, lightning, hydropower, and solar, they all are naturally DC. AC is an artificial organization. There's nowhere in the universe that you can find AC. It don't exist. It's an artificial. Because it don't have polarity. So, but they design all the appliances in your home to use AC. Why? Because AC can be traveled through long transmissions of distance at a very high voltage, 50 and 70,000 volts, and a very low current. That way, and they had to do that because the more current that crosses the path of a wire, the more heat can generate. And the higher gauge wire you have to buy, which is more money. And that's why they have these step-up transformers right at the pole, because they take that high voltage and they step the voltage down, and then the current raises up to, like, as high as 40 amps, which runs basically your, your blower, your heater, and the dryer and the air conditioner. Those three devices use the 40. But... I looked at, you know, my background is in electronics long before I did any of this. So just going back to fundamental principles, I realized that these solar systems with these backup battery systems, the battery is not biodegradable, and it releases hydrogen gas every time it's recharged. And if you don't, if you allow it to discharge below 85%, you take away the life of the battery. But they don't tell you that because they want you to come back and back. Then you need what's called a charge controller, and then it's inverted, converted from the natural form of DC to AC. Now, you have refrigerators that run on DC. You've got LED light bulbs that have a luminous of 100 watts that only use 3 watts. And they don't tell you that neither. So you have to look at the source of how they introduced this thing to you, like the biodiesel. The biodiesel is, is a means of allowing them to make money. You've got to buy the methanol. You got to buy the kerosene. You got to buy all these additives because you're going to make it yourself. And then you can use straight vegetable oil, put a conversion kit on the diesel engine, and it, and it can run for miles. But they're not going to introduce that to you. We have to be innovative. And that's from a cosmic standpoint. When you had from the late 1800s to the early 1900s, you had a wave of, of inventors. You know, you had Edison, Tesla, Elijah McCoy, Eli Whitney, Granville T. Woods. George Washington Carver. That happened when Uranus was in Pisces. Well, Uranus is in Pisces again. It's 84-year cycle. So now it's time for the same type of innovations once again. Mm. Brother, I need to come by your house and get one of your old hats. I don't want the new ones. I want them old. <laughs> <laughs> Bank of reality and the region in which they're in. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. But they can look at the website and kind of give more direction on what nature's bioorganic farm is. It's like a, it's a predecessor to the Indigenous Seed Initiative, whose website has not yet to be to take form yet, but the foundation of its existence comes from nature's bioorganic farm. And that, that website is uh, nature's with an S, bio, a dash in the middle, organicfarm.com. And it has a, a, quite a few listings of seeds, but it needs to be significantly updated because now we had a count of 390. We want to catalog all of them, and we haven't purchased all of those seeds. And there's a seed purchasing link on there, you know. And at this point, you know, we haven't created the, the, the unincorporated association or the theastrophist, which is what is the next step. And, you know, we like people to donate, you know, like monthly, because you know, the objective is, is to acquire these seeds before somebody else does. Because over the years, you know, my friend first gave me this book, three years before I farmed, called Seeds of Diversity. They talked about way back in 1990, right when Calgene created the first genetically engineered crop, which is a tomato. At that time, Monsanto was just an aspirin company. Mm. And they got financed by the big boys, and they became what they are today. Way back then, they talked about the bows, the takeovers. Seed companies, they may be here today and gone tomorrow. You know, because there was a few that I wasn't able to get because I didn't have the finances, and I still have not seen them to this day. And they were wild. Huh. And I don't, I don't ever want to run across a wild plant and not be able to acquire it and let it pass through the hands. It's like a blow to me personally. You know. Huh. Yeah, I tell so you, it was a, you know, I just want to say this before you before I go back to mute, yield the floor. One of the things that surprised me, I'm from up top also, I'm from New York, and uh, when I came down here, I used to listen to WBA with Yatrice uh, Lee and, you know, Gary Berg and, you know, all of those people. And Yatrice um, Lee, she was always on Mont- Monsanto's tail. And uh, my cousins took me to Walmart, right across the street from Walmart in this town, man. That's just who sits right across the street, about 60 acres, man, Monsanto. It, it didn't click right away, but I tell you, I say about the third night I was down here, I think I was, I went to sleep. I woke up like 3 o'clock in the morning and stood up in the bed. Man, I said, damn, right here in my grandmother's town, you know. And I said, it all came together, how they ran all the black farmers out of business, because she was talking about that too, you know, how they, um, those seeds that they were giving out with those government grants kills it kills um, the soil up to an inch deep. So then, you know, once you find out that you don't want to use those seeds, you don't get those grants. And if you use those seeds, then you're going to need more money the following year because you need the plow that's two inches deep so it'll turn over the soil that's dead and bring the new soil up to the top so you can plant. Oh, you know, and all of these things cost thousands and thousands of dollars. So. Yeah, man. Yeah. Gangster Chronicles for real. Uh, uh, oh, that's a deep that's a deep measure there. 
Yeah, it is, but uh, that's exactly why, you know, um, we need to start getting on these um, so-called preachers behind because they're the ones that got the family's money. And uh, I can't say force, but really get them to wake up and invest money in these kind of endeavors so that um, instead of our family members going to Walmart in these places to get these hybrid seeds, you know, brothers can get some other brothers to drive some trucks to these churches and, you know, because it used to be that way, um, I think, when I was a teenager. You know, some of the families that come up from down here in the Carolinas and they park in a parking lot. You know, it's like they sell the watermelons and whatnot and the fruits on the sides of the street. Mm-hmm. Used to come up specifically to certain churches, man, and park in the parking lot on Saturdays and Sundays, man. Collard greens, sweet potatoes, all of that. You know, but just like you're saying, if we can get some of these churches, because that's where most of our money is, um, at ten percent or whatever, to um, send you brothers to stipend, you know. And we can. I mean, you know, we we yeah, we're gonna have to start here with the family. And like you said, you know, we we're, we're going to have to become productive on our own, and then we can bring that example to the church and have them participate, build to the you know, to the hearts of their memberships by explaining what it is we're doing and what it is they're facing and use their own doctrine to show them, you know, the nonsense that they're participating in. But you getting money out of, um, you know, Pastor Willie Crash pocket, <laughs> uh, that, you know, he got to buy that biodiesel fuel for that, for that land yacht he just cop, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. He ain't trying to get no ethanol. He's trying to get biodiesel. So, yeah, you know, let's yeah, let's, that's let's do it first, you know, amongst us, and then raise the the, the visibility of it. You know, what I'm saying let's make it a movement, and they'll come around. Indeed, indeed. You know, but we 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 have the incremental finances to put forward. You know, what I'm saying they will add up. To acquiring seeds. I mean, brother, on average, how much do seeds cost? On average, it's like three dollars a pack. And actually, yeah. a, a couple of the companies only limit you. I think it's one company only that limits you to two packs. So the way around it is to take a few of us, five people, and get two packs. Because you, there's something called genetic variability. I mean, there's so many plants that you have to collect seeds from in order to pick the best plants to pass down the whole genetic uh, uh, characteristics. Whole sequence, right. And when I realized that all the guidelines that, that the companies like Seed uh, Saving Exchange, uh, Organic Seed Alliance, they got some guidelines where it should be so many plants that I'm realizing that original plants have far more genetic material which means it would take more plants. So we have to take their guidelines and upscale them. So we want at least about 100 to 150, preferably 150 plants of everything that is grown in order to collect seeds from. Oh, okay. They say less the numbers because they're dealing with mutated foods. But the more a plant is breeding, the less genetic material it passes down. Right. Because the original form of it has every 
single characteristic that that plant ever could present. I mean, that, that plant lived to be you know, a million years. There's still more genetic material in that plant to be passed down over that duration. Mutated and breeder plants, they wouldn't last. They wouldn't, they wouldn't last a, a few hundred years. If that. More ethnic friends. Wow. wow. Yeah. Well, I want to say thank you, Carlo. Uh, I appreciate your questions and the time that you spent, as well as the information that you shared. Check the site out, you know what I'm saying, and let's participate and move this thing forward. All right? Indeed. It's, it's Nature's Bio Organic Farms. Is that correct? Dash. Bio. Yeah. Bio-organicfarm.com. So hyphen, I believe it's called Nature's Bio, hyphen, organic, farm, dot com. All right. Got it. All right. Yield All right, bro. Peace. Indeed. Indeed. Family, call in. We have five minutes remaining to the live stream, 347-637-2135. That's 347-637-2135. We have hands shooting up in the caller queue. Let me open up my co-host's line first. Brother Red, are you there? Peace. Yes, sir. Peace, peace. Okay. Yes. Let me go to caller from the 708. Caller from 708-214. 708, 708 214 Caller. Peace. Peace, peace. How you feeling? How you feeling? Greetings. All is well. It's uh, a blessing to hear this type of conversation, man, because I know nutrition is very, very, very dear to my heart. I'm very passionate about it. I'm in the Southtown area. And uh, my question is, um, you know, I'm big into new, uh, to detoxing, and I heard you say something about, you know, juicing just forms a, another concentrate that's not necessarily something that we should do. Uh, for detoxing, what fruits, or not even fruits, because, you know, you said avocados is probably the only thing you would buy from the store, but out here we deal with a lot of cold winter, so if you're into detoxing heavy, what would be some of the stuff that you would suggest to focus in on as far as, like, what to consume when it comes to the vegetables and whatever else you might think, say? When it comes to detoxing, actually, herbs have a more stronger capacity to detox food. Like, you look at water, it's just a natural diet. Well, your phone, hello? Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you better now. Hello? Yeah. 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 Okay. Foods are more nutritive than things, so the medicinal capacity is pretty loud, except for the citrus. But that's high Hold on. on. On my side, your phone is like waving in and out, brother. Is that, is that what it sounds like on your end? Or are you hearing yeah, them clearly? Kinda, uh, it's kind of a little faint. but I can hear them just a little bit. Okay, what about what about now? That's a lot better. Okay. Yeah, I was saying that since foods are nutritional based. Their medicinal capacity to cleanse is very mild, except for a lemon or a lime, which has the citric acids or organic acids. And then they're hybrid. They all came from, you know, the tangerines, the tangelos, 
the grapefruit, all of those uh, hybrid species from the palmetto. If you're looking at something that really detoxifies you, food does it on a very mild basis. Herbs are what does it on a much more accelerated level. Okay. You know, because so, you well, have, go. you know, you're doing what's called what's called the doctrine of uh, taste. Because you have sweet, sour. I mean, you have sweet and salty, which are nourishing. Then you have bitter, pungent, and sour. Those have the capacity to activate the more deeper cleansing capacity of, like, the liver, the kidney, the lungs, the vascular, and lymphatic. Foods wouldn't do that. It would be a much, much, much milder process. I think the the cleansing that herbs can give you in one week, it would take foods a couple months to do. True. Totally agree with that. But what is this? Uh, what was you saying about the juicing, though? Like, are you are you saying that it's not necessarily a good thing to juice? You know, like this whole juicing revolution that's going on now. Is it better to eat the the, the wilder food? Is it better to probably eat like maybe half a meal once a day and then try to consume mostly like spring water and herbs for the remainder of the day? It depends on the time of the year. You know what your physical activity is, but as far as uh. The, the juicing, you know, you, you're creating a concentrate, and then you're extracting. You know, if I had when I first got a, a a microscope back in 1996, I was doing a lot of experimenting, and I took a lot of fruit and squeezed a little juice and put it on a plate, slid it under the microscope, and I saw a cellular movement for three minutes. So my perception at that moment was that it takes you three minutes to the mass. And then I further realized that it was the mass upon extraction. Those same thin slices of the fruit that I had cut, I left them in the refrigerator for a week. But I noticed as long as it was contained within the wholeness, the life force was still there. But the minute I extracted the juice from the pulp, the life force had a three-minute dissipation. So at that point, it was self-explanatory. When you leave it in whole form, the life stays there. When you extract it, now the people say they get health benefits. The health benefits is not so much because they're eating that. It's because what they're not eating. When you take on a regimen that you're going to juice, automatically you're saying that I'm going to eliminate the very foods that cause the illness in the first place. I mean, if you wouldn't have juiced and just stopped eating food, the body would have did almost the same thing anyway. We just didn't give it the opportunity. The body has a self-inherent healing capacity. That the foods create obstructions that inhibit that natural process. Right. Wow. That's crazy. Ain't wow. <laughs> he just destroyed my whole thought right there. Uh, but we had to realize nah, that all, 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 all of these things we get from Western perspective, Western paradigms, even when it comes to farming with these raised beds or with this, this rejuvenate, with this probiotic stuff, right? you know, all these things that people bring forth out of philosophical ideologies, but nothing oh, in yeah. the natural process that, that supports it. So the whole yeah. the whole raw vegan theory 
that's like a that's like a a, a, a marketing tool. Because I noticed you said about the seeds and you know, like the nuts. That stuff really isn't made for us to consume like that. Right. Well, the raw thing is is excellent. It's just that you know the the the, the flax seeds, the sesame seeds, the nuts. You know that integration of it. Because years ago, when I moved to Atlanta, I moved there because the guy who owned this only raw food restaurant in Atlanta at the time, called Living It Live, he saw me on the computer talking to somebody about wild foods, and instantly he wanted me to move down there to work five acres of his nine acres and supply the restaurant food. And so when I was staying with them, I, I reflected back on my trip to Jamaica in '98 where I ate all these dishes with nuts and seeds, and I was constipated for three days straight. Mm. I'm, like, I'm like, how am I eating raw food and I'm constipated? And then the nuts. So I stopped eating, and the next four days I ate nothing but green leafy stuff, and then the bowel movements was superb. I did that same thing at right. in the lab. I ate nothing but sage, croquettes, all these nuts and seed dishes for a whole week. I couldn't do no yoga pasta. I was stiff as a board. The next seven days, oh. I ate things like seaweed soup, you know, avocado dishes, all green leafy kale dishes, and the flexibility came back. So it was evident that not only that, you know, from a uh, theoretical viewpoint that you can validate those are not saying good, but from a physiological experience. But I even know yoga instructors that say that when they do want to do demonstrations, they don't eat because their flexibility is maximized. So when you start eating these congested foods, you know, so the raw food thing is superb. It's just a lot of those ingredients, once again, it was a paradigm that somebody presented to us, and we didn't cross-examine it and validate it. We just accept it like we always do. Anything they present to us, we just accept it, you know, in full Presentation. We never just dissect it, look at it, examine it. Nothing. Sometimes I wonder, do we think they got or something? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, because they don't even present no nothing, no paradigm to support it. You know, nah, they just, <laughs> they just put it on a plate and get a few people to talk about it, and then it's a crave. And, you know, out here, California now is just what you mentioned, the probiotics you know, the kombucha and things of that nature, you know. It's not a good process. That's how vinegar is created. Vinegar is no good, period. It's made by the fermentation of yeast and bacteria because first sugars are transformed by yeast to alcohol. And then they go through a further transformation into vinegar, which creates acidic acid. It's acidic acid. That right there is the tail of the tape right there. Right. Tail of the tape. We need to take all these food products that they told us was good and dissect every last one of them. And we'll see that, you know, the the, the honey is not good. The bee pollen is not good. All All them things they said was good. So first of all, honey is a regurgitation. The bee takes in the nectar. And see, when you're dealing with a honeybee, it don't have a, it don't even have a capacity to take nectar from a diversity of plants. That builds its uh, 
genetic diversity, when you can take nectar from various native plants, you produce a much more viable honey. But when you are a honeybee, it's either alfalfa or clover. Those are good plants in their individual right, but they don't. You need a diversity. That's why in nature there's always more than one food. You have to, you have, to have diversity in life. That keeps the genetics viable. Like we go to the store and we have a limited variety of things. You know, you got so many wild species, but you go to the store and you get nothing but cultivars, you know, commercially produced. You know, so, you know, food is something we need to take control of because as long as industry controls it, they're going to give you far less diversity and the poorest genetic vitality. The worst, so the worst of the, the worst of the worst. So I got a real quick question then. Well, if herbs are dried and then they're they're dried from particular plants and species in the wild, wouldn't some of the herbs be hybrids and mutants as well? Mm-hmm. Because the herb is, was here before we got here. No man planted the herb. They was already here waiting on us. I can tell you one. I can tell you two herbs that's hybrid: peppermint and citronella. Those are hybrids. So all other herbs are superb in its own. Yeah, it's a few other hybrids out there, but for the most part, and usually, you put it this way: cold and steel. Well, cold and steel is, is, is wild. So you can tell this: the more commercialized something is, the greater the chances it is of it being hybrid. Peppermint is extremely commercialized, and so is citronella. Because see, they have to see commercial value in something to adulterate it. Like these staple foods, you know, rice, wheat, these are foods eaten across the planet. That's why if they commercialize those foods, they're going to yield more money. If you do a crop like zucchini, I mean, zucchini ain't a staple food. So you wouldn't you wouldn't establish as much control nor revenue if you adulterated a non-staple food. And the same thing with the herbs. Okay. Thank so you, what Paula. Be, uh, what would, oh, thank you. Okay. No, no, get that last question. No, I was just going to ask, you know, what could you take instead of consuming bee pollen in? Something that, that is wild, something that will give you that kind of energy. Well, you're from Chicago. That's where I'm from. You got herbs that grow wild. You got uh, lamb's quarter. You have purslane. You have uh, crazy greens. So that's a, that's a few wild species that you definitely uh, can consume. Sorrel. You can eat the yellow dock leaves. So, so that's that's a few wild species in Chicago. Amaranth which is in the same family as Kalaloo. That's I found that all over. Because, see, I was wildcrafting herbs three years before I started farming. Right. And, and, and I was in Chicago. I was able to identify between 75 and 80 herbs in the wild. The, oh. the, Midwest, the Midwest has the greatest diversity of herbs than any place in the United States. The Midwest would be oh. Michigan, uh, Indiana, Iowa, Missouri, Illinois, Ohio, those right Ohio. there. 
Ohio, yeah. Extreme diversity, more so than any other place. I mean, you found white sweet clover, yellow sweet clover, white clover, red clover, four different clover species. Yellow dot, burdock, plantain, greater horsetail, lesser horsetail, gravel wood. You had to go further into central Illinois to find ginseng and golden seal. They don't grow in the northern part of Illinois. But I used to be a part of the Illinois Specialty Crop Association, which is in a place called Pitts, Pittsville, which is about maybe 75 miles from normal Illinois. And it's going to show me something about how to how to basset. He said, when you pick golden seal from the wild, you have two nodules on the root. You take the two nodules off. So every time you wild harvest one root, you're putting two back. And when I started asking 10 or 12 people who grew golden seal about bisecting, they didn't know what I was talking about. Because uh-huh. I used to make, I made, I made like, I used to get a lot of intensive one-on-ones. People with mushroom farms, guys growing portobellas, criminy, white top, shiitake. People with golden seal farms, you know, composting workshops. I would travel everywhere on the bus, driving. I went to Sea Bank, Sea Savers Exchange, went to their facility, went to uh, Seas of Change in New Mexico, and then I went to Frontier. That's when I found out that we needed to grow herbs because we as an ethnic group use herbs big time, and that unfortunately, as, as, we, as good as the results we get from herbs, we can get much better results if we wildcraft them and dry them naturally, which I noticed from the comparison because when I went to Frontier Cooperatives, which is in uh, Norway, Iowa, and a guy who looked like he was a janitor with the CEO gave us a tour. And I said, what's that device for? He said, oh, we expose the herbs to liquid nitrate because when we pulverize the herb with the heat, we can volatilize the essential oils with the heat. So... If we freeze it first, by the time the heat of the pulverizing reaches a certain point, then the herb is still room temperature. And then they fumigate it with CO2, and they call it organic. And at that time, we were visiting because we were going to do a contract wow. grower with them. And I say right there and there, I'm not interested in contract growing, and we need to grow our own. And many companies do oh. this. So, so the herbs we get are not even nowhere near the quality. You know, so I plan to do, if you're interested, there's a brother in Chicago at University of Illinois at Circle Campus. He's inherited most of the library from Charles Farnsworth. He was the guy that created pharmacognancy, which is the mother of pharmacology, which came forth down the street from UIC at Presbyterian St. Luke, where the AMA and the Center for Disease Control was born. And they share the same oh. building. And he's the only brother in the history of this country to get a Ph.D. in medical chemistry. The brother's phenomenal. Brian Wright. And he, can, he has the ability to take any plant and take it through that HLCN machine and break down every constituent in the plant and identify them. So we talked about that there's so many wild plants in the rainforest that have yet to be uncovered. And I and I, I, right. our goal was to go into the rainforest in Central America, South America, and Africa and acquire plants and be able to see what the constituents of the plants are. And then he was going to do a taxonomy report and, and, and put it in journals. 
And that's what they do. You know, so all these things that are uh, an integral part of our life, we have to have some control in it. We can't just keep relying on them to present us things because whatever they present us is going to always be oh. less than what the full capacity right. of what something presents. So we're just going to keep shortchanging ourselves and we don't play our hand in the things. I mean, we spend millions of dollars on herbs every year, and it ain't one black herb farm in America. And I couldn't do it because oh. it's difficult for one person to grow food and herbs. Just, you just can't do it. But you got certain herbs that are annuals that produce in the first year. You got certain herbs that are bad annuals. Dr. Sebi said they don't exist. I told him we need to go back and, and do some more observations because I'm like yarrow, wild carrot, which is Queen's Anne's lace, and mullein are biennials. You said nature don't produce biennials. Nature produces annual. Biennials and perennials. Perennials is something that will produce in the third year to the fifth year. Golden seal and ginseng produces the fifth year. Echinacea produces in the third year. As a matter of fact, my first year growing herbs, you know, uh, Frontier financed this herb project, $32,000, and I, I facilitated it. That's why I moved to Mississippi. And we grew about, about 24 herbs. But on my own, personally, I grew about 45. And that was my first time ever doing it. And I got to hmm. understand. He said, right. he said how, do they send a, how do they send a guy down here with no experience in growing herbs? And when he came back, he said, I've been doing this for 10 years. He said, there's no way in the world you could have done this without ever having did it. You had to do it before. I said, no, I didn't. I said, it's an intuitive thing. I said, intuition compromises the physical experience that you haven't had. So all intuition hmm. is is the knowledge of what is known. Oh. Yeah. I said that the intuition is the knowledge of what is known, but they have yet to unfold. But you already know it. Oh. It could be it could be ten, fifteen, twenty years. I remember I was in front of this witch and I had the great Catholic mother the great mother, and he woke in the goddess was in. This is 1989. This witch said, brother, these sisters ain't ready for that. It'll be 25 years before you would get sister to acknowledge that she a goddess. I can't believe her. I found out the hard way. And here we are, almost 25 years later, and she was right on point. So I realized that basically I'm at a process where I, I was able to tap into the future looking at my charts, my astrological charts that I was a visionary, that I'm able to see and tap into things like 20, 30 years ahead. And that's why I kind of went through. So, you know, in 1994, we had a full-fledged co-op where everything we had was organic. But at that time, the biggest wholesaler in the Midwest called Goodness Greenest had just opened up in Chicago. They own 60th and low. And Whole Foods had just opened up, the one on North Avenue by Clyburn. So organic food was just new to us. So the project, it didn't succeed, and some of us was pointing fingers at each other, and I said, look, we were just ahead of our time, that's all. That's when you're ahead of your time, people just don't gravitate to it. It ain't their fault. It's, you know, there's no need to dog them out. You just, you know, some you're of us are ready, yeah. Like, like the Wright brothers. I mean, when they, when they start talking about an airplane, people look at them like they was crazy. <laughs> right. 
the, the stuff George Washington Chicago was doing. I mean, he was, he was, I mean, Henry Ford offered him a quarter of a million dollars back in the early 1900s. And he said, no, I must go to Tuskegee for my people. So he was a phenom ahead of, ahead of his time. Tesla was definitely right. ahead of his time. Free energy machines, perpetual energy. It takes the electromagnetic field from the universe and transforms it into electricity, which is the opposite of what a generator does. With a, with a hydro dam, or when they burn coal and create that combustion that turns the turbines of the generator to create electricity. But only thing is, he's taking the, the perpetual electromagnetic field that's eternal. I mean, because the universe is infinite, an electromagnetic field that basically calibrates every galaxy in the universe is basically facilitated by that same electromagnetic field. So always I keep seeing this dynamics between what's natural and what's artificial. You know, like I said, electronics. Most of that is artificial electronics. DC is natural, so I, I gravitate to DC. I'm not a fan of AC at all because it creates that ELF. That's the call extremely low frequency. Yeah. Paul, I want to say thank you. Please, brother. I appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Please continue to listen in. Check the brother out. Let's participate. We can do this. All right? No doubt. Peace, brother. And, and family, this is the importance, again, of what we were talking about Tuesday with KTL Empowerment. You know, having a network where everybody is making some sort of residual income on the side so we can never have an excuse to scratch our heads and be like, damn, you know, I got to take a little bit from over here to put a little bit over there. And like, no, as an empowerment network, as a unit, these are projects that we can easily fund. We can easily pop these situations off where we're at. And that's where the power is. You know what I'm saying? Food is not only the future, it's now. It's mandatory. Okay, if you want to make this last stand for our people, it has to be done via food because genetic warfare is in full gear. And you can see the results. I'm tired of pointing fingers at the results. When the solution is in front of us, but yet we don't concentrate on that. We don't put no energy towards that. We don't lift our finger to it. We just smile at it and say, oh, look, that's so cute. No. This information is not for entertainment purposes, okay? This is for activation principles, for people to want to move forth. Those of us that have come here and want to make this difference for whether it's personal, whether it's for family, whether it's a community, or whether it's on a global scale, those are different windows and doors that you can walk through, you know what I'm saying? Windows you can peek through and doors you can walk through, however you feel compelled to pick up, you know, the task, you know what I'm saying, the task at hand, the challenge, you know, just answer the calling. So let me go to another caller. We have a caller from the 917-917-734, caller 917. Peace. Peace, 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 family, peace. Yo. Brother Goff, right? Peace. I feel yes, it. Yes, 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 indeed. Yes. Let me tell you something. I chimed in late. 
and I am upset. I got to go back and catch the beginning because this brother is doing a fantastic job in articulating the importance of the, uh, the plant kingdom and the importance for people with pure, unadulterated, heavy melanation to understand that as well. I do have an outs- I have a question for him, um, and I'm glad he's here tonight. Can you please expound a bit on the three types of photosynthesis? Because in school, they only generally speak about photosynthesis they, as a general thing, like they do with blood. Like people don't understand the difference when, you, when they tell you your blood type, that's the phenotypical aspect of blood. But there's the genotype where they get down to the meat and potatoes and all the nuances. So, Ken, expound on the C3, the C4, and the, the Crelucian. The, I, I always mess this up. The, the, the Crelucian acid metabolism and the plants that fall into each three of those groups and, 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 how, to, and how does their, um, I guess, their, um, their ability to um, interact with oxygen affect the food source? Okay. Are you speaking of food plants? About uh, the food plants, but but they're but they process they process light differently. So they there's do. The three different, huh? It, it, that's true, and I, I I see definitely the difference between the wild plant photosynthesis and the mutation plant photosynthesis. From a, you know from a from a botany standpoint, all they have presented to us is from that conventional of mutated. I have yet to really explore. I just I just know intuitively that a wild plant has far more dynamics of photosynthetic capabilities mm-hmm. than a conventional. But I haven't really explored it to the dynamics in which you're speaking of. Sure. And, sure. I'm, and, I'm, and I'm glad you put that on the table because that is something for me to look into. The thing is that, like one guy told me, when information only exists in certain parameters, you have to create your own findings. Because no question. Since, since no one has taken a wild plant and looked at it photosynthetically, you know, there's nothing out there to really draw on. So you have to create your own findings. Sure. Well, that's what I'm doing now. So I wanted to get, because I don't have uh, botanists in my, uh, or people who are doing what you're doing, investigating. So I'm, I'm doing this on my own along with um, uh, uh, looking at the insect world and the importance of the insects and and how they uh they put down a, a lot of work on this planet prior to the inception of the human organism uh mm-hmm. becoming animated vessels on this planet so um that's why I was curious about your perspective in terms of uh how uh, photosynthesis cuz uh you know just like you like yourself as you alluded to earlier uh when I went to Egypt a few years back my whole focus was, like yours, similar, I was, and I have to thank Lester Loving for this because I worked out with Lester, um, and he spoke about the Egyptians and them using Jessup in terms of the painting technique. So when I went there, um, that was one of the things I looked at uh, along with the architecture. So I wasn't so concerned about the the, the meta nature and all of that, those are important things to know, but I was more concerned on how these people lived and the insects and the architecture as well as the paint and and how did they keep it for so 
so long, and what did they do? So I was talking to a lot of the people that were there that I had access to that kind of tried to give me a little bit of insight on what they uh, learned. But nonetheless, I just want to say I, I think you did an outstanding job. And um, Thank you. I look forward to uh, checking out your website and uh, doing doing something on some level, even if it's sharing the information, because I'm going to continue with this research with the photosynthesis and really going um, the extra mile with it and um, bringing forth some of that ancient information to the KTL family. Um, so that's what I'm preparing to do right, uh, you know, hopefully in a couple of weeks. As you were speaking, something that came to me, there's a process called diffusion gradient. And it's predicated by photosynthesis. And what the fusion mm-hmm. gradient means is that as a plant, what happens is once the photosynthetic process is created and the plant creates the sugars, then it creates what's called carbon chains. And those carbon chains are driven down to the root of the plant, and then it absorbs the mineral and starts creating organic compounds. I know that wild plants have not only a greater capacity to do that, but they are able to create more sophisticated and dynamic molecules and compounds photosynthetically mm. than, than, a, than a regular plant. In other words, like when different nutrients are absorbed through the root pairs of the plant, as quickly as though they are absorbed at a, at a much faster rate, that wild plant can take those individual nutrients that are in inorganic form and create organic carbon complexes from them. Mm-hmm. In, a way, in, in a way in which a conventional plant can do. And it, and it has to be predicated on largely on the photo, photosynthesis. Well, and yeah, I know absolutely, all, absolutely. And I know that it can harness the photons of light to a greater capacity than conventional. That's, and then you, then you start going into the symmetry of the shape of the leaves. The mm-hmm. wild plants have more pointy leaves, and cultivated mm-hmm. plants have round leaves. So you look at wild arugula, and cultivated arugula, and wild dandelion, and cultivated dandelion, and even look at the wild lettuces, like the wild lettuce that's a pungent herb, and then the wild herb that's called oak leaf. Those leaves are pointy, and that's that symmetry, almost like an antenna. Mm-hmm. So it has it gives it that capacity to harness more photons, which you know which triggers the photosynthesis process. I have, a, I have another question for you as you were talking. Something else um, uh, just came to, came to mind. What is, your, what is your perspective when you are on an area? Just, just take, uh, I'm, I'm currently in uh, New Jersey right now. So let's just say we take a 30-block radius in a city, and a small little town, and you take that block, take those, all those little 30 blocks or 50-block radius, and you plant nothing but acid plants in that area. Um, have you ever given any thought to what the environment, how the environment would be affected based on the, what the plants would emit energetically uh, to the populace there? Since we have a symbiotic relationship, where, you know, us, uh, we, we uh, breathe out CO2 and, and uh, the plants give off uh, uh, oxygen. Well, first of all, it wouldn't affect the respiration of the plant. It would more for affect the biology and the soil. Because one thing about soil, no, I, I mean, I mean in reverse. And I'm talking about not so much the plant, because if you have acidic plants without mm-hmm. the balance, because the way I'm looking at at it is uh, 
kind of similar from uh, similar to the the human body. In this okay. area, in this town in which I'm in now, there's nothing but it's a strategic plan to plant nothing but acidic plants and trees. Such as, okay, acidic plants such as um, what is the name? I'm terrible with names. Um, what is it? Uh, the ones that they they plant um. In Washington D.C., it's from Japan. Uh, what is the name of this uh, plant? There's a plethora of them over here in this town. Um, oh gosh, it's. Uh, I know it's the same tree that the the Japanese had given to Washington D.C. and they have them on their lawn. But those plants are, or trees are acidic. Um, uh, cherry blossom. Cherry blossom. There you go, sir. There you go. Yes. Okay. Right. Cherry blossom. Shout There's out to Patrice. Yeah. Right. Yes. But you know what? If, if you look at if you look at what's called terrestrial ecology for North America, from the mm-hmm. eastern border to the Mason Dixon line, they said a, a monkey could swing on a tree from Louisiana to Maine without dropping. Okay. Anytime, ninety nine percent of the time or ninety eight percent of the time, when you have a forest, you have an acid environment because of the peat uh, and in the form of nitrogen, you have ammonium instead of nitrate and you have a predominance of fungi, which release organic acid. Mm-hmm. So it's not that the plant is acid, it's just the, the biology that has an affinity for the root and the symbiotic connection releases organic acid. It's like in a grass field, when you go from the grass plains area, Kentucky and Kansas and that area, you have native grasses, which are predominant bacteria, releases, which release alkali slimes, which aggregate mm-hmm. the soil. So now those, that would be alkaline, but it's not because of the plant, but because of the biology of the bacteria that has an affinity to that plant. Mm. So, with, so when you look at a city and when, um, when you look at uh, these, uh, the agricultural, uh, I guess, department of a city um, and they're planting, you don't find, it, you don't find that they're strategically specific placing specific kinds of plants to get a desired result for a populace? Because the reason why I'm asking you, the, the, the reason why I'm asking, I was uh, watching a documentary in the Himalaya Mountains where, you know, they, they were looking at the organic farmers. They were going against those who were genetically using, like, uh, the, the, the chemicals from Monsanto and those who chose not to. And the guy had made... An interesting point, um, the host of the show was like, well, look, look at all these, uh, I think they were, um, they were pines, uh, and the pine is acidic as well. And, and the farmers were like, well, yeah, the British bought them there because the host initially thought that they were indigenous to that area. So mm-hmm. what ended up happening was, or what, or what they ended up talking about was how that these acidic plants are actually destroying their crops. You know what I mean? So I found that to be very interesting that the British king, over to the Himalayan mountains, bought an acidic plant to actually destroy or create the environment in the soil in order to destroy uh, people from um, creating uh, food for themselves. And I thought that was, that was a strategy. So I took that philosophy and applied that to cities. And right. I, I, that's why I'm asking. That's, that's the, I guess, the gist of my line of questioning to see if you if, is this something also in your research you've uh, investigated as well? 
Uh, well, actually, it's an interesting analogy, but, you know, what's interesting is when they plant acid plants, particularly the trees or in the forest environment, you know, basically what's called a deciduous forest. Whereas on the West Coast, where the brother is, you have a carnivorous forest and chaparrales. So all they do, all they really were doing was restoring the native environment because, once again, looking at the northern terrestrial ecology of North America, from the Mason-Dixon line going back east, you supposed to have a, a predominance of all the cities because there was no grass. I'm talking about no grass at all from the, sure. the Mason-Dixon line to the eastern border. So it was everything was a city. The soil and everything. No, that, that that would make sense because uh, grass grass would be considered an angiosperm, and the angiosperm uh, came after, of course, the the gymnospermic plants, which uh, fall, which all conifers and firs and all of that stuff, you know, exactly. predate, predates the angiospermic plant, which falls into the the covered seeded plant. Got you. I, I got I got you. I, I was just curious because we're talking with, with, with the British. Why did why did they do it? And I was just. It, it just got me to thinking, and I appreciate your insight. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Uh, thanks for the question. Yeah, I, no question. Blue, uh, uh, you know me. I, I'll keep going all night. So yeah. <laughs> 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 so I mean, this is a, this is an excellent discourse. You know, you're, you're definitely you came in late, so once you listen to it, you'll hear that he touched on some things that me and you have had discussions about. You know what I'm saying? Some some very key areas of your studies, you know, oh, nice. and uh, hopefully you can continue to dialogue offline. But I know that you're going to check the site out, and I know that you're going to participate because this is your passion as well. Yes, sir. Right. Yes, sir. And you know what, brother? You can do me a favor and go yes. to the Contact Us section and, and leave your, your contact info. I sure will. I definitely will do that. Right, because I mean, I have to tell you, you're the first brother I've met. You're the first brother I've met that expounded on plants like that, so I'm impressed. So you know, we definitely have to have to deal. Oh, thank you very much, man. But like Brother Blue said, this is definitely my passion. Oh, oh, one other thing, I just want to drop a jewel because you you touched on uh, the uh, the genetics and the ability of the plant. Um, you spoke about the pine plant in one generation. That also that also happens for worms. In particular, one of the more impressive ones that actually regenerates itself is called the planarian. It can regenerate itself in two weeks, and the sea moss plant retains oh, close to, well, depending on what kind of sea moss you're, 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 you're dealing with, the sea moss retains, and both of them are pretty impressive. One is closer to, like, I think it's 95 or 97%. The other one is, like, uh, close to 90%. So it's able to do. That's why I love sea moss. Everything I I do is with sea moss because its ability to maintain and keep that. And it, it well, of course, it's highly electrical. And number two, um, uh, its ability to re- retain a lot of its genetic information. So it's very hard. It's a very difficult plant to destroy. And this is why when they um, you know put those um, chemicals in the ground and they try to kill kill off like worms and stuff like that. Worms also too. You know, it's very hard. You might get them for a, a, a generation or so, but they're they're back at there. They'll get their full genome back and functioning again, so they're very difficult to kill. So I just wanted yeah, to, yeah. you know, drop that in there and I'll allow someone else to go ahead and ask their question. I appreciate it, brother. Yeah, but we, we definitely have to build. I, I like what you're drawing on, seriously. Oh, thank you very much, man. I, and I'm going to put my information in there. I want to definitely continue this offline. Thank you. 
in North America is not really, when you look at ecology, you look at that certain environments was made for certain habitats. This environment ecologically was not made for human habitats. There's a certain criteria that determine, first of all, the the plants that will sustain the species have to naturally wild grow there. They don't exist here. You know, and for the, you know, the vague population. Reptile, are you on the phone? I'm sorry. Yes. Yes, sir. Okay, yeah. When he he finishes, then I want to engage you with... uh, Something real quick. All right. I was just going to say one more thing. So, yeah, so we, we have to always look at the ecological makeup of an environment. You know, like when you study the nine major environments, you know, like the tundra, which is a frozen desert, and then you have deciduous, carnivorous, you have swamps, you have everglades, you have chaparral, and you have marshes, like in Louisiana. When they when they changed the design of the Mississippi this last time, they didn't design it in a way where the overflow of the sediment flowed around the coastal area to buffer the salt water so they wouldn't eat away from the land like you're doing now. So it's important to understand why you have Everglades certain places, you have swamps certain places, you have marshes, you know, which create the peak, you know. So, you know, understanding... That, that ecological design in nature, it, it can show you basically what's appropriate, like the Tropic of Capricorn and the Tropic of Cancer. If you, if you go around the whole globe, within that 23 and the third northern and southern of the equator sphere, you will see that all of this conducive. Everything grow wild, wild bamboo, wild plants for clothing, food, shelter, cosmetics, everything. That don't exist here. So that's why people had to bring stuff with them. When they when they nomadically migrated to North America, hmm. even though once upon a time that during Pangaea, what we know as Alaska was where Florida is now. That's why if you go deep underneath the layers of ice, you see trees. Oh. You know, so the earth has shifted and transformed over time.
fashion, shape, or form, whether you extract it, cook it, uh, heat it. I mean, well, cut it is okay, as long as you cut it with yeah. the grain and not against the grain, and, 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 and concentrate it. You know, like, for instance, vegetable oil. All oils are concentrates. Yeah. You get olive oil, all the, all the oils are concentrates. Coconut oil is different. But olive oil, canola oil, castor oil, all those oils are concentrates, which nature don't create. So you tell me, huh. I, I, with the coconut oil, I, I, well, I'm not sure if I can get away with cooking it, but that's like the only oil that's not considered concentrated. I know people would... apply in the body, but, you know, I'm not sure if they could cook it. I mean, I, I mess and cook around, but I'm not still understanding coconut. But go ahead. I wouldn't cook it because now you're changing the, 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 the glycerides in the oil. And when you change them, once again, when you change something, you adulterate it. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Uh, I think that's pretty much it. I mean, I'm not going to going further because the does want to rush me out of the queue so yeah we got I got people on the line so I do thank you though please check the site out you know what I'm saying and become a supporter of this movement alright um is he, are you able to post it um brother blue or red I would uh, I, I posted it in the chat. I'm gonna post it on Facebook when we finish. Okay, I'll look at it. Yeah, Red, I had wanted you to um, touch on what he said in terms of that statement that he made about a Mexican being uninhabitable, and in your research when you were pulling up what Columbus and them was saying about this particular territory, this was known as the vacation, the paradise. You know, or, or what they term the Garden of Eden. You know what I'm saying? In his journals, he referred, uh, Columbus referred to the Americas or Amexum or Northwest Africa as the uh, Garden of Eden. It's indeed, uh, like Brother Talent said, it was heavily populated with, um, you know, all kind of produce. It was very rich, the mineral, you know, the the South America, Central America, the silver deposits in the land, uh, the gold, all of the natural resources that were inside of the soil. You know, just it was just a, a very rich land that they encountered. Okay. A very interesting story um, that I also read about the um, the export of potatoes from out of uh, Central America. I believe it was Peru. Yep, in the and, Andes Mountains. Huh? In the Andes Mountains is where they're from. Yes, the Andes. And um, the impact that it had on the economy in Europe the impact that it had with the Irish, things of that nature. You know, there's so much, you know, so, so, so many stories about what, how this quote-unquote, I won't say discovery, but um, when they came into Encounter. the Americas, right. huh? Encounter. 
the encountering what it did to change the uh, the world, you know, how it affected the change of a whole world. Um, it's very interesting. All right, both ways. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Indeed. So let me yes, go. Just, got another caller. Let's go to caller from the 225. 
particularly a wood cellar, where they stored things back in the day before it was a such thing called refrigeration. Mm-hmm. They like they like they like low humidity, low moisture, and darkness. And if you can take some of them silicon bags and put it in there, it helps take the oxygen out. So the oxygen makes the seeds age. Less oxygen because what they do in these other seed banks, they they dip them in liquid nitrate and they can last a hundred years that way. Wow. Yeah, but I don't have no desire to do that. <laughs> I freeze them like uh, Han Solo. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I I had another question. Um, I, I, I was gonna say this right quick. In, in certain seeds, seeds, that's a difference. Conventional seeds can last three to four years, maybe five years. Wild uh, seeds. Like I got this Egyptian walking onion, the first cultivated onion in, in the eastern part of the world. Those seeds was in a tomb, you know, and they calculated they had, you know, they were 3,200 3, B.C. And those telling how long mm. the seeds was in that tomb mm. and they still germinated. Mm. But see, but see, wild, wild oh, can't yeah. do that. Like you, you wow. think, like how, you guys, they have like a delayed. See, I want some stuff. of that onion. Like people, ask me, people ask me a question: How you know the seeds is wild? And I'm like, well, one of the things is, even before I see the plant take form, the delayed germination. I mean, like, if you plant some conventional, and you got, like, a tray of 72 cells, conventional stuff, all of them going to come up at the same time. Wild stuff, they're going to come up in delayed germination. Uh-huh. So a wild plant seed can be in the ground for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and when the conditions in that soil is most conducive, it would take form and germinate. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. Wow. Right. I have, a, I have right. another question real quick. Uh, well, I got a, I got, I got one more caller. I have to get the, the next caller in. If you want to hold on, I'll have you do this. I'm a hold. Hold I'm on. A Mutual line. Okay. Let me bring this caller in, and we'll see if we can get both of the questions in. Okay? All right. All right. Caller from the 347-347-365. Three four seven three six five. Caller, you there? Peace. Three four seven three six five. Caller. Hello. Greetings. Yes, peace. Greetings, peace, brother. Peace. How are you? How are you? Wow, I'm blessed. Thank you. Um, I have a health is- issue that I'm I've been dealing with for the past few years. Now, for the first time in life, I was hospitalized um, February 2011. Um, when I got there to this hospital, um, I was told, like, I, I should have died and stuff because they ran some blood tests and stuff, and I was basically running out of blood. Um, dizziness, all of that. Everything was going on, and they were confused that I was able to just walk around and not faint or die or go into shock because my blood was low because of um, um, fibroid tumors that I have. So I was basically bleeding to death. Um, So they gave me blood, and I took blood for the first time in life, being hospitalized and all of that, everything else that came after that. So I was in the hospital for a week. Um. The same thing for this year also. I was hospitalized twice, Um, once in February, then in March. It just seems to be a pattern with me, you know? 
and I just keep going in for this blood. And so now, I guess you you know what my question is. Um, I, I mean, what what's the, you got a, you I got a minute? 